gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Okay, Brendan, man, what do we got going on this episode? Uh, so, just so everyone knows, this is take two of episode <laughs> 72. Unlike in previous times where we didn't press the button and, and it didn't work and all that, we did everything right, and for whatever reason, the file didn't take, so... God. I'm sorry if we cut things short. Dan and I have already had this conversation once, and we're in a bit of a Groundhog's Day. For you, what you'll be listening to for hopefully the first time is a Nodepticon 2021 recap. Yes. And to the listeners out there, I'm sorry that this wasn't included on our lead up to events section. I wanted to ask for forgiveness rather than permission on this one, because I know my numbers were very limited and I didn't want folks to feel bad for, you know, not having been invited. 18 people is a very short list and there were a lot of people that I really, really wanted to be there that was a number more than 18. So hopefully you guys can forgive me and live vicariously through some of our recaps and enjoy it for what it was. Other than that, though, we're going to go through the Cursed City War Scrolls, and we're going to have some brief comments on... You know, some of the things about the gameplay to be aware of versus some of your Blackstone Fortress experiences, perhaps. And then Dan is going to reveal the identity of the Yellow King. Uh, We are going to do very annoying notifications to you as the listener that if you don't want to do that, you are going to have a period of time in which you can stop. And then jump to this or that, because and that's how we're going to finish the scriptorium if section. If you listen and you didn't want to, we're going to give you plenty of chances. And so it's on you if, if you our, hear If this. our first conversation was any, uh, <laughs> was any indicator of how long we're going to take to let you grab your phone and press stop... <laughs> You're going to have plenty of time. <laughs> or mute your radio or whatever. So, yeah, that's what we're doing today. We're going to fill up the show with some great stuff. And, Brendan, let's move to Whispers from the War. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, it's hobby time for you. Now, in all fairness, you know, you just were hobbying like a beast before no depth no depth con so whatever you've done afterwards it doesn't really matter because you did so much before to get ready honestly Mm -hmm. i really haven't done much in the in the follow-up from it started a little bit of painting some marauders i built the crimson court i've been building the cursed city models i'm almost done with the bad guys so the crimson court you built them you just haven't painted them or anything Mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah so i have a lot of projects on my desk right now surprise surprise and i really want to finish my slaves to darkness stuff that i have absolutely get that done so I can say that it's finished. I've had a lot of fun playing them, and it's definitely something I'm going to add on to over time. I've enjoyed painting them. Sure. But right now, I don't see the need to like grind out a 4,000-point army to just say I have the whole collection. Get it done to the level I have done. If there are some lists that I want to play, I'll add some stuff and paint as I go. And then from there, you know, Cursed City's on my list. And then I've got a couple of 
secret projects okay. that I'll be working on. Well, one of them is so secret that only Bryce knows. Oh. I guess he actually, he only knows of one of them, and then him, Ty, and Mike Butcher know okay. the other one, because okay. I'm going to, I want to finish up our Adepticon quad stuff. Like, sure. we, we spent a lot of work on it, and it's a project that deserves to be finished. Other than that, it's just been a lot of, you know, kind of hanging out and just, mm-hmm. oof, after kind of a, a big... Yeah. Painting spree. Oh, and Curse City, of course. I have to yeah. work on painting that. Yeah. On top of all of the other things I've said I was going to try and do. But, you know, <laughs> a little bit of this, a little bit of that. What about yeah. you, Dan? I was able to get through and build and prime everything in Curse City. So I'm really happy about that. I wanted to get that piece of it done, get rid of the extra sprues, and just look at it and see what I wanted to hit first. I did do Captain Eyepatch. He's done. Yes. And I'm going to work on the 10 Ulfengard and I've really enjoyed batch painting, which is really cool. I haven't done that for a long time and there's 10 of them. So I'll go through when I did their capes and then I did their armor and now I'm working on their chain mail and it's just kind of neat to do that and listen to something and just kind of fun. Now, kind of like you with a couple of things, I'm going to get that much done of my cursed city but kind of like with your slaves of darkness you want to get that done i always want to keep my night haunt current Mm -hmm. so whatever models i have i want to make sure my night haunt is done and you've got two cruciators to paint yes and you have while you did finish your second black coach yes you have some conversion bits that you want to apply to it and and do some work on that once i get done with the olfengard Skeleton Warriors. Then I'm going to move over and I'm probably going to do the Cruciators first because I think they're going to take a little less work, honestly, than those conversions are. Mm-hmm. So those will, I would hope so. Those are my next two projects, really, after the Olfengard. So I've got, like you, I've got some stuff in the pipeline, which is great. And then once I finish my Night Haunt stuff, I want to get on my Vampires. I want to do the Crimson Court and get those guys done because I've got some really cool new metallic stuff from army painter okay some really neat colored metallics which are really cool and i've used some blue already i've used it's almost like a black metallic um, shiny and mm. it looks really good that's what i'm using on my Olfengard. so i'm hoping to use the red on my crimson court and see how that turns out so that'll be the third project i guess in my list so yeah that's what i got going on with hobby so i think we're both going to be busy for the foreseeable future which is not a bad thing just in time I, for Soul Blight. <laughs> I've always got projects yes, I'm working on. You, true. You've seen my basement. I yes. have <laughs> I have a good half dozen half-finished ideas. It's like one of those junkyards you go to, and like you look back, and you just see like miles of stuff. You know? <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad, no. Well, you just, you just haven't seen the 40K boxes I yeah, have Of course, hit. yeah. Just I've only seen the Sigmar stuff. Mm. Okay, we're going to move on in. Unlike usual, we're usually pretty upbeat. There's a few things that we need to talk about because, quite honestly, right now, GW has got some PR issues. <laughs> and it's not just Sigmar side, it's 40K side. There's a lot of stuff going on that kind of is not fun to talk about what we need to because part of what we do here is inform people. One of the first thing I want to talk about is the 40K cheating controversy that came up and it's all over the place. Most people know about it. It was at a GT and I wish I could tell you which one specifically. I cannot. But <laughs> we recorded this yesterday and we didn't even think to look it up another time. <laughs> um, but it was an Whoops. ITC event and what happened was everything was being live streamed and the guy who got caught, he was rolling dice behind terrain. He was picking up dice really quickly so his opponent couldn't see. Whenever he had to roll for like D6 damage or something, conveniently he was always rolling fives and sixes. But it was all on tape. (laughs) And they caught him. 
there's some issues I have with this kind of bigger picture issues. First of all, his punishment was no ITC points for the rest of the year. And I'm like, okay, that's good. That's a good start. But why is he even playing in ITC events? That's my question. And I understand that IT, you know, that the frontline gaming guys who run ITC, they're not looking at individual events as a whole. When things like this come up, they get involved. But nonetheless, there are all these TOs who run ITC events. They should just lock this guy out. At a major event, he was blatantly cheating. And that's an active decision that you make, right? There is a difference between you honestly misplayed a rule or Mm -hmm. you failed to understand something and you were corrected and then fixed it going forward. Uh, This is an active behavior choice. Yeah. And so you need to send that signal. Now, the other piece to this, though, is that I don't know why the 40K community gets upset at this kind of stuff or is surprised when this happens, because honestly, they have made a deliberate choice, Brendan, to monetize that side of the hobby. Mm-hmm. Not only, you know, with like the LVO and some other places where they're handing out checks for thousands of dollars or 500 or or $1,000 worth of prize support when you get to a certain level, you know, in the event or in ITC over the year. You have given people an incentive that is monetarily based, not based on doing well with the game and being rewarded for that in itself. You know, I get a trophy. I'm, you know, recognized in the community. All the things that are positive about winning and being really good at a hobby. This kind of stuff is going to continue and hopefully it'll get caught more often than it doesn't. But it's going to continue because you're motivating people to do that. You really are because there are people out there. That's just who they are, unfortunately. Now, the other piece of this that I want to talk about, and I think it's much more active on the 40K side, is pay to play. And what I mean by that is where somebody gets really good at 40K and all of a sudden they decide they're going to charge other people to coach them. You know what? To me, and this is just my personal opinion, that is just mercenary. I'm sorry. That's what it is. Because we already pay enough to be in this hobby. People pay a lot of money to be part of Warhammer. Sure. Now, all of a sudden, you're charging them more to learn the rules and get better at the game. There's just something wrong with that to me. You know, if you want to get on YouTube and you want to monetize that, you want to give, you know, rehashes of games, you know, and all this, that's great stuff because people can learn from that. But to individually coach somebody for money, it just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, I'm very uncomfortable with money entering the gaming side of things. Mm -hmm. I obviously, you know, play competitively and I play and I like to win. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, though, if I don't win the events, if I lose a bunch of games, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to, you know, I'll think about my losses and Mm -hmm. I'll figure out, you know, what to do differently. But ultimately, I'll go home and, you know, I'll go to my job the next day and live my life. Absolutely. The most financial value, quote unquote, I've won in an event is a start collecting box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Like, I don't care. I could have won nothing other than the, you know, other than the trophy. And I'd been like, this yeah. is great. Yeah. You got a trophy case full of them, yeah. too. <laughs> I'm very uncomfortable yes. with money and the gaming side of it. This is very mm-hmm. different than, you know, people commission painting things. That that's is, a different thing because that's the hobby side, not the gaming side. Right. That's, that's its own business, its own gig. I am uncomfortable, just like you are, with people who are being paid to coach other people one-on-one. 
Mm-hmm. I am very uncomfortable with prize money where it's all integrated at the same level. I might feel differently if there was, you know, we'll call it a quote unquote pro circuit mm-hmm. that operated independently from what we would call, you know, an amateur circuit. Sure. I'd feel a little bit differently about that, but that's not the reality that we live in. No. And it's very difficult for me to explain succinctly, you know, why I don't like the money entering the gaming side of it. But ultimately it boils down to it permits and allows people to participate for this hobby and what I believe to be the wrong reasons. Yes. When you are monetizing like that, it becomes... Pay to play Yeah, is really what it is. And then you have a whole ecosystem around it of, you know, who's Mm -hmm. your coach and, you know, what do Mm -hmm. you pay? And then there's a whole question of... Because I have been asked to coach for money Mm -hmm. from a couple of different people and I have turned them all down because I'm such a great guy. (laughs) Because I was left with the question of like, okay, you know, you're going to charge me, you know, I'm going to charge you X amount of dollars per hour per game or whatever. But if my friends ask me for advice, am I now obligated to charge them for my time? You know, let's say you come over to my house for the weekend and I charge you $1,000 to play three games with me. But Dan comes over every week and I don't charge him a dollar. And I learn just as much. (laughs) Sure. Where does that all come into play? You know, there's a lot of things that I am very uncomfortable with. It's unfortunate that, you know, that you have a person participating in that behavior, actively making that choice. I hope they look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know, what am I doing this for? Right. You, know, you hope so. You hope that it, that person learns from it rather than just trying to avoid future detection, you know, that kind of a thing. Right. Let's move on then to this next thing. And I'm going to kind of group these things all together. It's not only the Curse City feel bads that we got from the pre-order in that, you know, the people who pre-ordered got their games after the people who walked into the store off the street. There's also the way GW made this announcement on delaying pre-orders, the announcement they made about their enterprise resource programs and trying to integrate everything. And I just have such a problem with a company that makes as much money and is as big in an international company as GW does making these kind of decisions. It's just really unacceptable that they keep doing it. That's the point. It's just so frustrating because they make great products. They make great games, games we all love. But when they do this kind of stuff, it makes me feel like, you know what? I got your money. If we have a mistake, we're going to kind of wash over it a little bit. And then we're going to move on and everybody's going to still buy our products and buy our games. And it doesn't really matter what we did. So there's no consequence really to GW at this point. You know, we're still going to buy their stuff. We're still going to get their games. And that's what bothers me that because if there's not a consequence, there's no change in behavior. That's the way it works. That's the way humans work. Largely, Um, yes. Yeah, and, and companies. If a company does something continuously and they make bad decisions, if there's no consequence for that bad decision, they're going to keep doing it. It's just the way it works. And so I just, I'm hoping, beyond hope here, but hoping that, they can really get this stuff fixed and then not just talk about it like they have for a while. The ERP one I have a lot of sympathy for. I have worked in manufacturing for about a decade now. Mm-hmm. And there is no business scale where changing over ERP software or going up to a new version of it is easy. And they did it in the middle of a pandemic. We understood. Yes. That one I have a lot of sympathy for. I have facilitated a changeover personally, and it was a nightmare. And there were seven of us. 
That one, okay, fine. The miscommunication, quote unquote, between the availability of Curse City versus its actual availability, mm -hmm. that one I do hope that they go back together as a business and say, what on earth happened? Who missed what? Open up the corrective action process and you know begin to evaluate what went wrong because sure. I will have no patience personally for the second failure. I have a lot of patience for one-offs. Weird things happen. Yeah. This is not the podcast, not the time and place to discuss a lot of them, you know, that I have seen happen in a factory. Stuff happens. Yeah, and for me, Brendan, I guess it's that is it's not a one-off. Mm -hmm. You know, we had this thing where they made, okay, instead of it weekly, we're going to go bi-weekly with our releases. And then that just went out the window. Well, you know, that's very different from Curse City. Though. Right, understood. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying when they say something and then they do something totally different, it's like I would prefer that you not tell us what you're going to do. And then once you tell us what you're going to do, you stick that's to what it. you're going to do. Just be consistent. And really, don't over-promise and under-deliver because successful companies do the opposite of that. So that's what I would like you to do. And that's what I'm asking. I don't think that's a big ask. No, and I, I don't think so either because at, at the core of it, that's the one that I am also a bit frustrated with where mm -hmm. they clearly were trying to work through the ERP issue and they were trying to mitigate it in the way, shape, and form that they thought was appropriate without necessarily having to communicate that that's the core of the issue. Sure. Because on paper, it, it does sound embarrassing. And for people who really don't understand the difficulty around it, it's... Like, yeah, it, it's incredibly complex. Right. Yes. So... Yes. Fine. It's just, I don't want to see these again. You know, we're going to take however many weeks off of pre-orders. Fine, cool. Get your ducks in a row. Great. Awesome. Fantastic. And on the other side, whatever the schedule is, I want you to stick to it. Sure. There we go. Cool. The one that they do need to get right, that there is absolutely no room for a second occurrence is, oh, this will be a regular part of the product stock in terms of Curse City. And then it's the first wave and then nothing else. Right. And they really haven't said why. There's not really been a postmortem to it. I don't know if it's locked up in legal. I don't know if it's... It's the community branding trying to fill the holes. When mm -hmm. you look at YouTube and everybody's asking the questions and trying to answer them, but the company's not doing that. It's the community. And that's, that's very concerning. Right, trying the, to fill the gap. The silence is deafening. If you come out and this is, you know, gosh, the quality engineer in me be like, if you come to me and just say, look, we screwed up, you know, this is an IP issue and we can't make any more, I go... Okay, fine. It's what it is. Whatever you're going to do going forward, I'm hopefully you learned your lesson on it. Great, fantastic. But don't sit there and tell me nothing. Right. Because now I get to assume what happens. Right. <clears throat> you know, it got stuck in the Suez Canal and... <laughs> <laughs> and that's not what happened, so... Right, probably. Right. Yes, yeah. correct. Hopefully they fix these going forward. Hopefully yeah. that this is, you know, uh, not a long-standing issue. And hopefully as a group, they can be more proactive about yeah. what it is that's going on. Okay, so now... I think we've beaten those to death. Listeners, we are going to shift gears and, again, be more positive and, you know, let you know what's going on. So, first of all, the floodgates are just absolutely open with releases, which is great in the last week or so. We got models... We got the Cruciator for Nighthaunt. We got Garda Steel Soul for Stormcast, which mm -hmm. is great. And I am very excited about the Cruciator. So excited about two of them. Why? Just because. Uh, the box sets that have come out. We got Nighthaunt, Seraphon, Zinch, and the KOs. 
And all of them are great, except for the Night Haunt in my mind. Yes. Because Lady O is the hero that comes in the Night Haunt one, which is all cool on a one-off. And if you are getting started in Night Haunt, if you always wanted to get started in Night Haunt, this is a fantastic box. Mm-hmm. But if you're like Dan and you already have a Night Haunt army, there is no reason to buy this one. I'm not going to touch it. Anyway, they're all out. Bellacore book and model are out, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. That is great. I'm very excited to talk about the Bellacore book because I have looked over the Night Haunt stuff multiple times now and have thoughts to share about what they did and didn't do. And, and you picked up a Bellacore model for, I did. for some unknowable reason. <laughs> and on previous episodes, we have discussed how Dan is rapidly approaching the limit of uh, what, what his rules in this, in this house are. Oh, God. But in our previous time recording episode 72, you told me that you want to do it as a one-off paint project for dry yes, brushing. Yes, that's one thing I want to do. Cool. I believe you for that one. Yes. The one I don't believe you for is that you genuinely think in your bones that you're going to be allowed to play Bellacore and Night Haunt together. And I thought about that after we had the conversation. And I guess the point with that is that I'm hoping. Do I really think it might happen? Nah, probably not. But here's the other piece of it is I do have, and now here's going over the limit. Full disclosure here. Okay, full disclosure. Yes, if I go over the limit, I have a lot of corn stuff sitting there. And you know what? I could use Bellacor with my corn. I could. Yeah, you can ally him in. Yeah, so who knows? I think more than anything, though, it is the paint side of it. And it's just a beautiful model. And yeah, so much potential there. So anyway, we'll move on. Let's move to the next thing, which is games played. And you have some games played because you went to an event. You went to Indie Storm. I did go to Indie Storm, which was last weekend, Indianapolis. That was the weekend of the 17th. Mm-hmm. So one day, three games, 2,000 points. And... I had so much fun at Nodepticon that I thought I my next event can't be NashCon. That's too long. I, I had too much fun. I got to make my way down somewhere to get some games in and, and hang out with folks and keep doing this. And I really enjoyed playing my Slanesh Mark Slaves of Darkness stuff. Let's just keep playing it. I picked that going in knowing that Mission 2 was Knife to the Heart and my list is not very good at it. But I put the challenge to myself of... Can we figure out a way to play it? So sure. cool. We're going to go down there knowing that I'm probably going to do two and one really at best. But, you know, let's see if we can fight our way out of that paper bag. So my list is not just Slaves to Darkness, Host of the Ever Chosen. I didn't play them in a God-marked army. I didn't play them in one of these situations where I can buff Archeon with bodies. No, no, no. I said... I painted these Varengard, I painted this Archeon, we're going to play him in his host, let's go. Okay. Six Circle, which is plus one damage off the charge on the Varengard, for their weapons and their horsies. Yep, yep. Yay. So I have Archeon, I have a Chaos Lord, all this is Mark Slanesh except for the Untamed Beast, Chaos Sorcerer Lord, unit of three Varengard with demon weapons, unit of three Varengard with ensorcelled weapons... Five Chaos Warriors, five Chaos Knights, a unit of nine Untamed Beasts, the Eightfold Doom Sigil, and the Mesmerizing Mirror. Game one, I played with Luron from St. Louis, yep. and he had a Night Haunt army, and it was 20 Dreadscythe Herodons, and 20 Blade Geists, and another 10 Blade Geists, and Lady O, and Rykenor, and a Dreadblade, and a Coach, and a Guardian of Souls, and some Chainrass. Cool army. And we played the Blade's Edge, and he played great. It was a really close game for three turns. I doubled him three into four. I picked off the really important pieces, and then from there it was just how many models can I get kind of thing. Sure. He played great. It was a tough game, but I play Night Haunt all the time, so I knew all the tricks. He didn't get any of his Alpha Strike turn one charges off to, you know, to kind of start putting me on the back foot. 
Yeah, that wave of terror might have made a difference. Yeah, yeah, probably. Unfortunately, it meant that I was coming downhill mm-hmm. basically the whole time. Sure. Now, he got quite lucky in the sense that Archeon didn't really do anything mm. for a couple of turns there, but hmm, this is what it is. All right. Uh, game two, I had Knife to the Heart versus Justin Shannon, mm. who's a staple in Midwest tournaments playing as corn. He had a, the Skullfiend tribe, which makes Korgorath's better. So he had four Korgorath. That's so cool. I think that is awesome. <laughs> nobody plays four Korgorath. I mean, no, that's just Nobody so cool. but Justin. That is great. He had Scar Bloodwrath, Gore Pilgrims, two priests, a banner, two units of Reavers, unit of Blood Warriors, the Exploding Axe Bloodthirster, mm-hmm. a Corn Demon Prince. I think I said Scar Bloodwrath. Yes. Yep. He had the Skulls and the Icon. For the first two battle rounds, we didn't do anything. Oh, wow. We just kind of positioning things. Faced off. Around. And he gave me the double two into three, which I really didn't want. I really wanted to position for the double three into four, if at all possible. I said, okay, well, my plan was is that around turn three, I'm going to have to start pushing the pace if I want to play for a major win. Mm-hmm. It went well. It was good. And then it went sideways. Uh, <laughs> God. There's a picture on my Twitter, at Hobby underscore Bear, of Archeon surrounded by four Korgoraths, <laughs> the, the Bloodthirster... And 10 blood letters. Unfortunately, a lot of my stuff died. It was like, okay, well, that's all right. It's difficult with two turns left to go get the major. But he, at bottom of five, had positioned himself in a way and place where, at minimum, he was going to get the minor win. He had achieved three secondaries to my two. You know, he was playing for the major because he had nothing to lose. Cool, good, I respect that. He summoned Scar Bloodwrath back on a roll of an eight. (laughs) And so on my objective, I have my Chaos Sorcerer Lord standing on it, so you can't, you know, summon things in range of him to, you know, just take it off of me. He's got enough Blood Tithe, summons 10 Blood Letters, you know, with the reroll charging icon next to him. There's a Korgrath, so it's a bunch of charges, nine inches away, that I got to deal with. Scar Bloodwrath rolls the charge, fails, command point, fails, Blood letters, fail, free reroll, re-roll. fail, the Korgrath makes it on a 10. <laughs> cool. One model to one model in range of this objective. Yeah. I think I have like a total of four models. A Chaos Warrior, two Varengard, and this Chaos Sorcerer Lord. Great. Doing good. That Korgrath kills me by one wound. Oh. <laughs> he, does, he does a total of six oh. to my five wound character, Ooh. giving him the major win. So that was game two. Game three, we're playing Forcing the Hand, and I played KO player. You know, he outdropped me, comes down, shoots off Arky on top of one, and then my Varengard go, no thanks, and I take 1,400 points of his army off the table, mm. and I, oh I keep it close. God. His Ugh. army is just so much faster than mine that I couldn't, you know, cover all the spaces and places. Mm-hmm. If I had played Mark of Nurgle, I probably would have won that game handily mm. with the minus one to hit in the shooting phase, and that would have made all the difference in the world. But this is a game I want to talk about because I did not enjoy this game, not because it was KO, but because I had a very difficult time with my opponent. Okay. The shorthand for this is he had very poor table etiquette. And what I mean by that is he really wasn't explaining what his stuff was doing. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm pretty familiar with Caradron Overlords. I play Zach a bunch, so sure. I know what a lot of the stuff is, but I still need to hear, you know, kind of what's going on. I'm shooting at you with 
this, it's this many attacks, it hits on this, it wounds on this, it's Ren blank, damage, whatever, yeah. which gives your opponent the opportunity to say, oh, well, you're minus one to blah, 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 because you're within nine inches of so-and-so, and everyone goes, cool. And you see so you scoop up those dice to, you know, make start making those attacks. Common shorthand, right? Threes and threes, you know, re-rolling ones on the to hit. Roll your dice, you show them, you know, this, 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 this. He was just rolling dice, wasn't saying what he needed. And sometimes he'd be like, three mortal wounds. I'm like, from what? What is giving you three mortal wounds on this dice roll? How? When is this happening? It's really frustrating. It was very difficult to play that game. I don't think he was cheating. I don't think he was being malicious in it. But he wasn't even giving me a chance to, you know, communicate with him of what's going on. You know, he has, you know, a bunch of abilities that are once per battle or these guys can do it twice. You got to have tokens, man, or something. If not for you, for me, I'm not going to do your bookkeeping for you. Yeah, that must have been very, very frustrating. Yeah, I think the single most frustrating part of it is I had late in the game you know, made a charge with my Varengard in a, into a unit of Arcanaut Company, and there was another combat going on, and so I got to pick between the two of which to activate with first. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked him, I said, you know, is there anything special in this Arcanaut unit close combat-wise? And he goes, no, he goes, they're mostly like fours and threes and, and stuff like that. And I go, okay, cool. So I'm going to fight in the other combat because I don't think that those 10 dudes are going to do anything to my three-up save Varengard. Mm-hmm. Comes over, and he just... You know, starts rolling dice, and he goes, all right, that's two at rend one. I'm like, that unit's rend one? Like, that's... Mm-hmm. Well, he goes, well, no, this this guy is. I'm like, okay. And I fail both of them. It D3 damage, kills a whole Varengard. And I'm like, you don't think that that would have been worth talking about? Wouldn't it? Yeah, I would have picked that combat. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Or at least if you say you had it, and then I can say, all right, well, he's probably not going to do, you know, five or six wounds. Okay. Sure. sure. But to say no... It was at that point, I just kind of sat back in my chair and I was like, you know, whatever. Winning's important to this guy on a personal level. Sure. Go nuts. Okay. So yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, my last game with it was so frustrating because it, it wasn't like I sat there and played poorly. It wasn't like, you know, you know, he mercilessly beat me and all that. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, your army did what it did. But so I didn't win any awards. I went one and two. Oh, goodness, right? But I did win a surprise award for most kill points. It was an award that the TO didn't even know about until midway through the event. 1,400 in one scoop must have been helpful. Yeah, 1,400 in that game, 1,990 game one, and then 17 and change in the the second game because we were counting things that were summoned. Yes. Justin was just happy as a clam to just summon 10 blood letters or some corn dogs and Scar kept coming back and we kept killing him. And I think I had like 1,200 more kill points than second place. That's funny. But that's how my army wins. It was by running people over. So those were my... Warhammer games played outside Sounds like of. a great weekend, though. That's wonderful. It did. I enjoyed myself. It was nice to see the indie guys. Obviously, we saw some of them at No Depticon, but mm-hmm. just that whole crew. I really like seeing them. I really like spending time with them. And That's great. It was just a good time all around. And then I had a secret game four versus Mike on Sunday. Oh, fun. Where we had a Slaves to Darkness off. Oh, and cool. That was, that was an enjoyable one. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. That's great stuff. Because I'd heard all about it at Nodepticon, people who were going, and Mike was talking it up, and it was... And I was saying, was no, I can't go, and I got creative with how my scheduling worked out at work, yeah. and I got on the road early on Friday and stuff. you know made my way down there. Perfect. Okay. Let's talk about events that are coming up. Get through that. Nexus Milwaukee has been canceled, unfortunately, mm. which is a regular you know, gaming convention that we have here every year. However, 
Great news is that RockCon is back this year, October 22nd through the 24th. It's on. I'm so excited to be going to literally the first gaming convention I really ever went to was RockCon Mm -hmm. as a 40K player at the time. But it just got me hooked on going to conventions and events and that that's really has a, a place in my heart as it were it's important that i go and i enjoy myself funny thing is i'm usually playing um pathfinder now <laughs> most of the weekend which is kind of interesting but it's a great weekend so the other things we have coming up we have there's an atlantic city open june 11th through 13th run by the frontline gaming guys mm-hmm. lone star open down in allen texas is july 23rd through 25th by the same people and then we have two events in the midwest on the same weekend right yes i'm the 17th and 18th, you can choose between Circle City Clash, which is normally a team's event, but... And it's in Indianapolis. That one's in Indianapolis. That one's not a team's event this year because the TO didn't feel he was going to be able to get the space at the appropriate price and be able to space it out and have it be reasonable for everybody. So that's the same weekend as the Renegade Open, which is in Minneapolis, both 2,000-point events. And normally this is, for those aspiring TOs, quite the faux pas to schedule an event the same weekend as another one, knowing that there's another two-dayer. The TOs talked about it, and the, and the group that had scheduled that weekend first was totally cool with you know, the other TOs scheduling that weekend. So okay. that's really good to, you know, to see and to know. The summation of this thing is that there are a lot of events happening in the next few months. They're going to be starting, yeah. And we've got ours in August, their week in August, to go down to NashCon and mm-hmm. just wonderful stuff and really exciting. we got Siege World the same weekend as NashCon. Yeah, so if you're not in at NashCon, go to Siege World. Please uh, support those folks. So exciting that we have all these things to talk about instead of just saying, instead of the silence. Great stuff. And that's it for Whispers then, Brendan. Let's move on. If you're good with that, we'll go to Emperor Lies. Yep. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. All right, listeners, we are back, and we're going to talk about Cursed City. The War Scrolls really is where we're going to focus, but I wanted to just talk a little bit, having played Blackstone Fortress, I think a total of maybe five or six times, that there's some significant differences. I'm not going to go into the details so much, but I just want to talk about the overall differences, and I think they're good for gameplay. Not that I don't love Blackstone Fortress. I think most people who played it did. But the first thing is, is they have removed some complexity for the game without removing the enjoyment and the challenge of the game, which is really good. A change in the type of dice you use when you activate groups. The fact that you activate enemies as groups and not individuals. All kinds of things like that are really, I think important changes. The fact that there are some random events, whether we call them crises or challenges in either game, the Cursed City, the random events we'll call them, really happen in-game. So they're much more, I don't know what the word is, immersive when you have those. And I think that's really important. The stuff in Blackstone Fortress really happened after the game was over. And so it what didn't feel like it affected the gameplay that much. And I like that change. The other thing is, I really think that intensity scales up as the players scale up in Cursed City because you have a different style of leveling up it isn't just, well, you know what? I'm inspired. Now I'm inspired for the rest of the time I play the game. It's right. You actually get like choices. There's like five levels or something yep. like that. And you can choose each time you level up what you want. The fact that the bad guys scale up, which they don't do in Blackstone Fortress. Those things are really cool. And then the last thing I want to talk about is just the way the board looks. 
and space management on the table just seems a lot better in Cursed City because there were so many things just laying around in Blackstone Fortress that took your attention away from the tiles and the models that really should be the focus of a game like mm-hmm. that. And so I like the fact that that has changed as well. I saw uh, someone building on Twitter like a 3D board for Cursed City that was totally modular and stuff like yeah. that. I can't remember who it was, so I feel bad. But if I figure it out, I'll share it again. But That would be great. Yeah, like I'm looking through it. I, it feels well laid out, and I'm really looking forward to, to playing with you guys. Yeah, I think it'll be great. So that being said, let's talk about War Scrolls. Now, these War Scrolls have been provided to us by GW so that we can play these models in Age of Sigmar. If you That's want. what they're for. Right. That is the purpose of this little book that comes in the box. Preface this with, I think maybe two of them have any sort of, <laughs> you know, kind of value to you and maybe a competitive sense. Uh, otherwise, these are just characters that look like they'll be fun to play. If you really love them, you can put them in your army. Mm-hmm. You can play them as Anvil of Apotheosis characters. The death stuff has to all be taken as one 680-point purchase. <laughs> So if you play it, congrats, Mm -hmm. fantastic, good for you. Now, I think, Brendan, to your point is, from a competitive standpoint, this probably isn't going to be something you see a lot of, but there are a lot of people who play Sigmar narratively. So this would be a beautiful thing for narrative play. These would be great models and great war scrolls to roll into your narrative stories. Why don't you hit us up with our first... uh... Yeah, so our first one is Captain Imelda Braskov, who is a Cities of Sigmar Ulfencairn hero. So that's her city keyword. And all the ones that are in cities have the Ulfencairn keyword. Uh, She's movement 5 with a 3-up save, bravery 8, 5 wounds. She has one close combat attack, Dawnlight, which is a one-inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, Ren 2, damage D3, which Mm, is quite good. Pretty respectable, yeah. On unmodified sixes to hit, she does one mortal wound in addition to any damage. And while she's within three inches of any enemy units, you don't take Battleshock tests for friendly units wholly within nine inches of this model. Great. Inspiring. Cool. All right. Next, we have, I don't know what this, Quithalis the Exile. We'll say Quithalis. She is a Sylvaneth, and her glade is Angala Weld. So glades just like tribes or sub-factions. Yeah, city names, things like that. Right. So she has two. Oh, she's got a six-inch move, five wounds, a five-up save, seven bravery. And she has two weapons. She has Winter's Call, which is a missile weapon, 24-inch range, three attacks, three by threes, minus one rend, one damage. And then the Elven Blade, which is one inch, three attacks, four by fours, one damage, no rend. The cover modifier adds two to save rolls for attacks made with missile weapons if she is in cover. Mm-hmm. Oaken arrows in her bow. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with Winter's Call is six, that attack inflicts one mortal wound on the target in addition. And that's it for her. Cool. Very nice. Her yeah. model is beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Just so representative. It just continue to really insult the Sylvaneth players who want, you know, Karnathi models and... Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so... This is what we got for you, boys. Like, yeah, this is really cool. Like, where's the rest of it? Yeah. No. (laughs) Next, we have Matthias Thulman. I mean, Jelson Derrick. The witch hunter, yes. The witch hunter, yes. Vampire witch hunter. Why don't you talk about Jelson? Oh, wow. Because I'm going to talk about Brutal. I'm honored. Okay. Yeah. Five-inch move, five-up save, bravery seven, five wounds. He's a Cities of Sigmar Ulfencairn hero. He has his gun, Judgment, which is an 18-inch range, one attack, threes to hit, 
But if an attack made with judgment scores a hit, the attack sequence ends and you must roll a dice. If it's at least double the target unit's wounds characteristic, one model in that unit has been slain. If it's not, it's one mortal wound after all this model's attacks have been resolved, which mm-hmm. is just one. Yeah. Then he's got his Ardent Blade, which is a melee weapon, one inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage d3. Respectable. And he has Firewood Stakes. At the end of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this model and roll a dice. Add one to the roll if the unit has the death keyword. On a three up, it suffers one mortal wound. Sure. And in this game, I think that will be very useful. Very useful. In the game of Curse yes, City. Yes, in the game yes. of Curse City, it will be very Not useful. Not in the game of AOS. <laughs> this is fine, because most of these heroes are like 100 points, which right. is kind of a steep asking price for some yeah, of these guys. For sure. Next is Brutog, the Ogre. Brutog Corpse Eater, for a reason, when we talk mm-hmm. about his rules. He's actually got three attacks. He's seven wounds of four up save, six inch move, seven bravery. He has Marrow Masher. All these are one inch, by the way, range. Three attacks, three by threes, minus one ran two damage then gut gouger which is one attack three by threes minus two d3 and then the bite of course ogres have to eat stuff he has a three by three no rend one damage so those are all five attacks devour the enemy is his special ability and at the end of the combat phase if any enemy models were slain by wounds inflicted by this model's attacks you can heal d3 wounds however if you slain if you killed a death model you can heal d6 so if you eat zombies you can heal more mm-hmm. it's just so stupid but it's fun <laughs> okay anyway why don't you hit us up on the ko guy yeah so dagni holdenstock is a caradron overlords he is keyworded barrack mornar which is a actual you know port city in the book he has the skyfarer keyword as well as the marine keyword so he can board boats and do all that fun working together stuff four inch move four up save bravery eight six wounds it's respectable he has the harpoon gun which is a 16 inch range one attack fours by threes ren two damage d3 and his belaying axe which is a one inch range three attacks fours by threes rend one damage one he has a gold plated reputation which means that he starts with two shares of aether gold instead of one if you take him in a caradron overlord's army okay if you don't then he doesn't get any. His harpoon gun has a rule called reel him in. If an attack made with this model's harpoon gun scores a hit on a keyword monster, that monster is not slain and that attack has been resolved. Roll a dice. On a four up, that monster is skewered until the start of your next shooting phase. While that monster is skewered, each time it makes a move, it must finish that move at least as close to this model as it was at the start of the move. Okay. Hmm. Useful. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Not bad. Not terrible. <clears throat> All right. Next, we have Cleona Zeitengale. And she is a priest and a human Olfenkarn keyword. She's a hero and she's order. She's five wounds, six up save, five inch move, seven bravery. She has two attacks. Her missile weapon is eight inch range, one attack, four by threes, minus two ren, one damage. And then her thrice blessed mace, as you said yesterday, a mace is kind of a priestly weapon. Yeah. One attack, four by threes, minus one rend, D3 damage. Her ability is in your hero phase. This model can chant. She is a priest. One of the following prayers is... If you do so, pick one of the prayers, one through three, nothing. On a four up, the prayer is answered. And the two are first invigorating touch. Pick one friendly model within three inches. Heal up to D6 wounds. Very nice. And then commentary blast. Pick a point on the battlefield within 18 inches of this model that's visible to them. Roll a dice for each unit within three inches. On a four or five, it suffers one mortal. On a six, it suffers D3 mortals. It's a lot of rolling hot if you want to do that yeah, one. The healing absolutely. one's okay. Yeah. Not bad. So then you have your duelist, Glorio Van Alten III. Mm-hmm. He is a Cities of Sigmar Ulfencairn hero. 
Five inch move, four up save, bravery six, five wounds. He's got his pistol, noblesse, which is a nine inch range, one attack, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. And his Geist Sever Sword, which is 1-inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1, damage d3. Quite respectable. If an attack made with Noblesse scores a hit on a target within 3 inches of the attacking model, that attack inflicts one mortal wound on the target and their attack sequence ends. Okay. And then he has Unrivaled Duelist. You subtract 1 from hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target this model. In addition, if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a melee weapon that targets this model is a 1, the attacking unit suffers one mortal wound after all of its attacks have been resolved. Okay. Cool. Oh, okay. And then the last one is a spooky looking guy, Octran Glimscry. He's five wounds, six up save, five inch move, and six bravery. He has a hex brand, which is two inch range, one attack, four by threes, minus one, D3 damage. His ability is each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound, he gets a six up after save. And uh, he's a wizard. He is a wizard. So he has one cast to one unbind. He knows, of course, Arcane Bolt and Mystic Shield, but Withering Hex. Withering Hex has a casting value of six, so very possible to get that off. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within 18 inches. That unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. In addition, for the rest of the battle, that unit is affected by Octran's Hex. Subtract one from move characteristics of units affected by Octran's Hex. Okay, one inch. Yeah. Yeah. It's not stackable, though. No, it is not. Yeah, we talked about that, yeah, mm. yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad everyone yesterday. was listening to that. What we mean by that is that we had a conversation yesterday. Yeah. The, but what I mean by Octrin's Hex not being uh, stackable with this is it's if you're affected by it. It doesn't say per instance of Octrin's Hex. If you are affected by it again, you still are affected by Octrin's Hex total. It's just one inch. Yeah, you could do it for multiple models or multiple, multiple units, units, but you can't stack the one inch. Yeah, you can keep doing damage to them, but that's it. Right. Okay. Why don't you talk about the big guy on the baddie side? Yeah, so you have Radikar the Wolf, who is a vampire, soul blight, hero, wizard, vampire lord, keyword. He's got it all. Yeah, he's got a few. He is a five inch move, four up save, bravery 10, seven wounds. He has one melee profile, which is his barrow blade, one inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage d3. He has the hunger, which is the standard vampire rule. At the end of the combat phase, if any models were slain by wounds inflicted by this model's attacks in that phase, you can heal one wound allocated to this model. Cool. Supernatural strength. If the unmodified wound roll for an attack made with this weapon is a six, it inflicts one mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. He has the Grave Sand Phylactery. This is instead of his normal death save. Basically, you get uh, every time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to this model, on a four up, that wound or mortal wound is negated. On a one, that wound or mortal wound is not negated, and this ability cannot be used by this model for the rest of the battle. So that means you got to roll all of your saves one at a time, and hope that you don't roll any ones. Yep. Then he has Deathly Invocation. At the start of your hero phase, pick up to three friendly summonable units within 12 inches of this model. You can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to each unit you picked. If no wounds are allocated to a unit you picked, you can instead return a number of slain models to this unit with a combined wounds characteristic equal to or less than the roll of a D3. And this is typical Vampire Lord. This is very common. Yep, this now, is... Also, just to clarify, so if he loses that four up after save, mm -hmm. he has no after save. 
That's not true. He would still have his six up it based on the fact the, that he's death. Correct. And he's a van. Okay. If you were death. if you're playing in Grand Alliance. Okay. Yes. Okay. Got it. Or if you were right. playing in Soul Blight. Oh, got it. Okay. Yep. So he is a wizard. One cast, one unbind. He has no unique spells, and then he has a command ability that's very cool but very situational. Mm. You can use this command ability at the start of the combat phase. If you do so, pick one friendly model with this command ability. It's only him that made a charge move in the same turn. Add one to the attacks <laughs> characteristics of melee weapons used by friendly units wholly within 18 inches of that model nice. until the end of that phase. A unit cannot benefit from this command ability more than once per phase. So that's really cool. You get a bunch of attacks if you charge. Mm. That would be really great if you could purchase him on his own. But you can't. You have to pay yeah. 680 points for right. him. No, that would be nice if you could get a couple of big units in there and they all add one. Wow. Or you take Wolf. him alongside a bunch of Blood Knights for mm-hmm. plus one attack in Legion of Blood. Oof. Or you ally him into a Night Taunt army for plus mm-hmm. one attack. Sure. But nope. You got to take 680 points worth of dudes. Not happening. Okay. Torgilius the Chamberlain is next. He has six wounds, six up save, five inch move, ten bravery. Claws and fangs are his only melee weapon, one inch. Four attacks, five by fours, one damage. That's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Trusted Lieutenant. If he is within three inches of Radicar, we roll the dice on a four up and get an extra command point. Nice. Start of your hero phase. Next is Grave Sand Phylactery. We talked about that. Is it's the same pretty much as Radicars. If you you got a four up after save, but if you roll a one on any of those, it's it gone. goes away. Yep. And he is death, so just like Radicar, he could get a six up save, right? If he's mm-hmm. a Grand Alliance death. And then we have Necrotizing Bolt because he is a wizard. One he, cast, one unbind. That's it. And Necrotizing Bolt is a value of six. If you cast it, pick one enemy unit within 18 inches. The unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. In addition, subtract one from hit rolls. Very nice. Until the start of your next year. Right. Very nice. I like that. And here we go with Watch Captain Eye Patch. Yes. So. He is a skeleton death rattle hero. Four inch move, four up save, bravery 10, five wounds. He has his cursed halberd, which is a two inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage D3. His halberd on unmodified hit rolls of one, or sorry, hit rolls of six, inflict one mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. And then his command ability, you use this at the start of your movement phase. If you do so, pick up to three friendly skeleton units wholly within 18 inches of this model. Mm Until the end of that phase, if you declare any of those units will run, do not make a run roll. Instead, add four to the move characteristics of the models in that unit until the end of that phase. So then we have Gorslav, the Gravekeeper. I want to just comment on this model because it took me a minute when I looked at him to see what he was doing. But literally, he is pulling the top off of a coffin and the zombies climbing out of it. So I just thought that was kind of cool that they built that in. Yeah. Uh, So he has seven wounds, a six up save, four inch move, ten bravery. And he's just like... You know, Captain Eyepatch is the skeleton guy. He is the zombie guy. He has his magic spade, two-inch range, three attacks, four by threes, minus one, D3. His ability, before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to this model, if he's within three inches of any friendly zombie unit on a four-up, the wound is allocated to one of those units instead. So his command ability is Arise, Arise. You can use this command ability at the end of your movement phase. If you do so, pick one friendly summonable zombie unit that's been destroyed. A new replacement unit with half of the models from the unit that was destroyed is added to your army, set it up wholly within nine inches of a friendly model with this command ability, Gorslav. Mm-hmm. Each destroyed unit can only be replaced once. Yeah, so again, he'd be pretty good if you could take him on his own. Yep. And you take him with a bunch of zombies, and then you don't have to necessarily worry about 
like being near grave sites or anything like that, mm-hmm. you would just be able to summon a bunch of zombies right to him after they're destroyed for the first time. Pretty sweet. And 60 of them is nothing. Yeah. So they're like, it's like 320 points or something like that. Yeah, so you get 30 back. Oh my gosh, all the work it would take to get rid of 60, and now you got another 30. <laughs> like- yeah, and, and heaven help you if you've got two 60s on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Craziness. So So cool. So then we have the Death Ogres, the Zombie Death Soul Blight Ogres. Five inch move, five up save, bravery 10, four wounds. They have their Bardishes, which are basically just big halberd axe things. Mm-hmm. Two inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. You roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to this unit. On a five up, that wound or mortal wound is negated. Okay. Pretty good. And then you add one to the attacks characteristics of this unit while it is wholly within 12 inches of a friendly Radicar the Wolf. Sure. All right. Makes sense. And now we have Youngblood Vampires. Vicros Bloodborne. Three wounds, six plus save, eight inch move, ten bravery. They have a piercing blade, one inch, three attacks, three by threes, minus one, D3. When this unit makes a move, it can pass across terrain features in the same manner as a model that can fly. They cannot fly, but they can move across terrain features. A little bit different. Mm -hmm. So blood scent, add one to wound rolls. For attacks made by this unit, the target unit that has one or more wounds allocated to it. So now you're wounding on twos. Very nice. And then shadow fast, roll a dice. Each time you allocate a wound or mortal wound, five up after save. Okay. Sweetness. Yeah, again, that'd be cool if you could take them yep. on their own. And but... we're hoping they will be a separate war scroll in Soul Blight when the vampires come out. Hopefully. <laughs> Here, but yeah, knows? here's the hoping. So last up is the Varg Skier which is a Vampire Soul Blight. I'm going to play it as a Vargulf because the profile and rules for it are basically that of a Vargulf. <laughs> eight inch move, five up save, bravery 10, eight wounds. He has two attack profiles, talons, which is range two, four attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. And then his maw attack, which is one inch range, one attacks, threes by twos, rend two, damage D3. Is a terrifying howl. You subtract one from of the bravery characteristics of enemy units that are within 12 inches of enemy friendly Varg Skiers. Mm-hmm. Then he has Bounding Leap. So you can attempt to make a charge roll within 18 inches instead of 12, and you roll 3d6 instead of 2d6. There you go. And then the Varg Skier has Gnarled Hide. You roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to this model. On a five up, that wound or mortal wound is negated. There you go. And then the rest of the War Scrolls that are in here are the same as all of the ones available. So we're not going to talk about them. No, we're not. So. so there we go, Brendan. Curse City. And we'll be talking about it more, I'm sure, once we start playing games and those kind of things. Yeah. All right. It's neat. So we're going to take a short break, and then we were going to come back and talk about... No Depticon. ...the awesomeness that was No Depticon. Yeah. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. We're back, and we're going to be talking about the awesomeness... That was no Depticon. Mm-hmm. So, Brendan, as the TO, why don't you start out and just talk to us about your thoughts on your event? Yeah, so this was originally going to be, listeners remember, back in, like, November time frame, a couple of us went down to Chicago to play the Pants Mafia crew. No Depticon was originally going to be them coming up to Milwaukee and playing at my house. And as we were talking, we were thinking, it was like, well, I wonder if we could rent, you know, the, the hall for Bruce City Brawl. I wonder what that would cost. I wonder if we could do that. So I started inquiring as to the nature of that and... You know, it turns out we could, and it made sense, and you said, okay, well, what's the number? And I did the floor plan, and, you know, we ended out at 18, and I probably could have got three more tables in there, and it have been still space to that same degree. 
so the people who are asking the question of is Brew City Brawl going to happen, the answer is yes, as long as I'm allowed to hold it, you know, by the state and the hotel. My minimum number right now is 24 people. Price might be a bit higher than we're used to if we uh, still want awards and everything like that, because... <laughs> Effectively, the cost for Nodepticon ended up just just covering the hall, and I was clear with everybody on that that yeah. you know this was just and going. Everybody was fine with that, right? The thing that was really cool about this is everyone volunteered basically to donate things to make it a real event because as part of the pack, I put it, anybody who wanted to host an award was allowed to do so. Mm -hmm. You just had to define the criteria was for it. And then if there was going to be any tracking outside of what I was collecting in the game, because I was also playing. Yes. uh, So I didn't have loads of time to just be screwing around with all this, that you collect it yourself and then, you know, you present an award for it. I just ask that it be tasteful. Yes. Our friend Nick decided to, you know, donate the big awards because I did Wapaka scoring, which for those of you who don't know, is all aspects of the game are scored equally. Mm. 25% is gaming, 25% is painting, 25% is sportsmanship, and that remaining 25% is showing up and doing the things that I ask you to do, like turning in your paperwork. You should get that one, no problem. So he did an award for best overall, best general, best sports, best paint. And then we had people donate awards or sponsor awards. We had Christian who sponsored three awards. One was for the highest finish of an army with a single hero in it. One of them was for the highest finish with 800 points in the same war scroll. And another one was for highest finish of someone who played a Grand Alliance army. And his awards were all the same as they They were were all custom Toblerones. Great. Which I have one of those. Yes. Yes. Well, you ate the Toblerone, I assume. Yes, but I have the box still proudly displayed. Good. I do too. (laughs) So that was his. And then Tanya did three awards. She had the person who had the most secondaries. So I was actually, that was the only one that I was already tracking other than like the actual finish of the people. Uh, She had the most number of monsters slash behemoths slain. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she had the person who dispelled the most endless spells. Brendan. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> well, and then uh, you had Kyle Knapp, who did an award for person who had the most kill points against the Pants Mafia yes. Club. That was cool. You had Nick True sponsor an award for the filthiest list. Yes. And I believe that was all of them. Yeah. So this was a 2,000-point tournament where we played four rounds because the rounds were three hours 15 to give everybody a chance to play their games since most people were going to be very rusty. There were a couple of games that still went to the full 315. And I think part of that was people were just comfortable. They understood that there was a lot of time. Otherwise, though, I think it went pretty well. Went great. Yeah. It went really, really well. So any opening thoughts from you, Dan? My favorite part of the weekend was Saturday night when all 18 of us were sitting around a couple few tables and we were just socializing, talking, just whatever we were talking about. It wasn't just always Sigmar. It was just whatever it was, but it was just great to have all those people gathered in one place again, which is we've talked so many times about one of the best things about going to tournaments is the people and being with your friends and just hanging out. And that's what Saturday night was. And it was just a great time. It was very, I think, symbolic of what the weekend ended up being because the games were all you know pretty friendly and competitive of course people were wanting to win but just a great weekend with with people we knew and seeing people again after so long brendan that was just amazing and rolling dice like that in a tournament type setting yeah was just great that's it really that i have overall and i guess what i'd like to do is kind of go over some tales of battles one one and lost and if we could just alternate so why don't you go first with your game one my game one was a grudge match versus kyle knapp 
happen as Oceanic Bone Reapers. My list is the same as the one that we went over with the Indie Storm. We were playing Battle for the Pass to give folks an idea. I didn't do any list submission, and because I was playing, I let everyone know what the missions were. And to give some insight as to how I pick missions as a tournament organizer, I want to pick two missions that are going to be fun, you know, because mission one is typically when everyone's grudges are. I always, regardless of the event, I want mission one to be the one where everybody kind of gets in gear. It's a straightforward mission. Everyone kind of knows what they play. Then at this event, I wanted to take the Blade's Edge and Forcing the Hand because those are the two new missions out of the General's Handbook, and most of us haven't had the chance to really play those. And I think those missions are great. Mm -hmm. And then in a five-round event, I'm going to pick two missions that are hard missions. Missions that are tough to win, missions that you have to have taken a balanced list to be able to play the other missions and be successful in this one. My pick for that one and this one was Places of Arcane Power. A very common one for that is Knife to the Heart that people like to take. Yep. I really like Blood and Glory, which is the four objectives, and if you hold all four of them, you win that one. Mm -hmm. Just a heads up, folks, if you're playing in any of my events, know that two of the missions are going to be kind of tough to win. (laughs) Mission one was Battle for the Pass, and normally this is a mission I wouldn't take because in most tournaments, it's very difficult to play a long ways mission, but everybody was out on their own eight-foot islands way away from each other, so perfect time, perfect place to play this mission. Kyle was playing Stalyark Lords with Ark in the Black, a unit of 20 Mortec Guard, five Cavalos Death Riders, and then ten more Mortec Guard, I believe. A unit of six Morgas, and a unit of four Morgas. Ten Morgas. And and the Bone Tithe Shrieker. It's such a... Oh, man, they have, what, six wounds apiece? Four, yeah. six. Yeah, I mean, they're brutal to get through. They just are, having played almost that exact same list down at, when we went down to Chicago. Yeah, just, he took oh. the 3D6 charging ones and... He, the unit of four oh. had swords, and the unit of six had halberds. He outdeployed me. He gave me first, rolled my Dark Prophecy roll. This is this <laughs> rule I've paid for by playing Host of the Everchosen, and, and it seems really cool. And the way that this rule works is on a one to three, your opponent takes the top of the next battle round. On a four through six, you take the top of the next battle round. Mm-hmm. And so this is this rule. I had it. I have command points. I'm going to roll as so I took it. And it's hidden from your opponent, so only you know. And then you reveal it when you would normally roll priority. And so it was Kyle, and I went, okay, it's not great. I was like, but I know this. I know that it's not great. I was like, how do I convince Kyle that I have priority (laughs) into the next turn? I was like, oh, I'll convince Kyle by playing in a way that it makes it seem like he has the double turn, and then he'll think that I'm faking him out, and so he'll play conservatively, and maybe I won't have to worry about it. He saw my double reverse bluff and thought that would be a very Brendan thing to do. So therefore, I must have the double turn. And and so he played like that. Yeah. And he did have the double turn. So I won't say he got lucky, but he caught me not knowing all of my rules. Okay, yeah. Archeon had from the Chaos Sorcerer Lord Oracular Visions, which means I get to re-roll all of my save This is the rule. This is when you forgot it. Okay. So he charged in with a bunch of his Morgas and did 12 wounds. Unfortunately for me... I forgot I get to re-roll save rolls. So I took 12 wounds. Him having a double meant he was going to get to go again. Mm-hmm. And killed Archeon by one wound. So if I had re-rolled my wounds, I realistically, or my re-rolled my saves, which I remembered to do on the second go around, I realistically would have mm-hmm. survived as Archeon to heal myself a little bit and get myself into the positions that I needed to. And I probably would have won that game. Unfortunately, I didn't remember that rule. So most of the game was just Kyle mopping up. 
Now, thankfully, I did manage to kill most of his Morgas. I killed Arcan, and I prevented him from getting all of his secondaries. Sure. So it was a fun game. It was a good game. I love playing Kyle. Yeah. You know, I'm a little annoyed with myself, right, that I wasn't able to be at the level that I kind of normally hold and expect myself to be at. Sure. I forgot a rule, but you know, like I talked about in the Indie Storm recap, when you forget a rule like that the first time, you're not going to forget it again. No. Yeah, that was my game one. That's perfect. Dan, in game one, you grudged your normal grudge opponent yes. in awesome Nick McKenna. Nick McKenna and his Graz. He bought oh, my army. I mm. need to talk about yep. my army. So I had two black coaches. I had Lady O, Spirit Torment, uh, Drip Blade Hero, and two Guardians are my big things. Mm-hmm. And then I had two units of 20 Chain Rass, three units of 10. And I also had a unit of 15 Blade Geist. A lot of little guys, I think 70 Little guy, 70, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. That was my list. Nick brought two blocks of 60 Stabas, and he brought a block of 20 Shooters. He had two Loon Bosses, Scrag Rock, a Shaman. He had... He had the Spider. Spider. He had six Trolls. Oh, that was scary. Well, mm-hmm. it wasn't as scary as I thought it might be. And then he had those guys that are like Spikes, and what are those guys called? They had the Spoons. The and all. Spore Splatter. Spore Splatter guys, yeah. So he had a unit of five of those. Of course, what he did was, you know, he he just circled the his four-point objective with a, a block of 60 guys. And then he grabbed the objective on the other side with his 60 guys first turn. And then he dropped his spider and moved his trolls forward and got that objective. So that was five points for him at the beginning of the game. Nothing I could do about that. Mm-hmm. And because I have like 14 drops or something, everybody's going to go first if they want to. Right. It was beautiful, though, because he set up his spider and his six trolls right in front of my two coaches and my blade guys. And I looked at that and I'm going, okay, Dan, it's time to rock and roll, man. I charged my blade guys in and just sliced and diced his spider. They were gone. The two coaches charged into his trolls and killed four of them, which was really good. Mm. Those guys are hard to get rid of. So it was Battleshock time. And I had Lady O close enough because she was moving up with them. And one of the things, by the way, Brendan, and I have learned is that there and why didn't I learn this before? I don't know. There's no reason for me not to run my heroes because 99% of the time they're not going to charge, they have no weapons or shooting or anything else that gets them close enough so I can maintain my bubbles easier. So sure. I do that. So I had run her, he had to take his battle shock. Well, first of all, he's minus one bravery because he's close enough to Night Haunt. She has a special rule that one extra model runs, so one troll ran, the extra model ran. All six were gone. Ugh. So I totally wiped out his left flank. And I'm looking and going, I got Blade Geist, two coaches. There's his brick of 60. The next turn, and on the other side, though, where he had the 60, I actually had a unit of 20 chain rasps. I unit a 10 to back them up. And I had a unit of 20 and 10 and a guardian off the board. What I did was I dropped the 20 and the 10 and the guardian in the back of his backfield where that big brick was. Mm-hmm. I started moving my blade guys up. I moved one of my coaches over towards the tail end because he had really stretched out his unit of 60 on the other side to kind of come after my big objective. And so I hit the tail end of that unit. And it was really nice because he had his spore splatters back there. My coach, you know, just ran right into him, just started slicing and dicing. And the other thing it did was it locked it locked the tail of that unit in. So he had to come back towards me hmm. with all the other guys. He couldn't move forward uh, because my other guys, I retreated them far enough away 
so that so that the closest unit was still the coach mm-hmm. in the back yeah so i used retreat that was the first time in the day that i or in the weekend that i actually used it well so that was really good and then his shooters though they really started chewing up that one cuz there's 20 of them still and they started chewing up the one coach uh, but my blade guys got locked in everybody else started getting in but there were 60 of those guys they were minus 1 to hit they weren't going to run because he had three heroes there yeah the way the game progressed was that I ended up getting him down to 20 on that back objective, and I killed two out of the three heroes. It was the bottom of four. We ran out of time. Mm. I know, I am very confident that, and I had I had put a couple of my blade guys out of position, and I knew that, and that was my one mistake that I can honestly say I made. I easily could have killed the shaman that was left, and then there would have been no bravery. You know, he would have had to take a battle shock, and I had enough... Uh, chain rests and blade guys there that I could have taken that guy off the back if we'd gone to five. Mm. But great game. It's always great to play Nick. It's great to see his army on the table. And it was a nice warm up for me to start making sure I was using my rules properly and stuff. And, and so that was good. Yeah. All right. So that was my game one. So I lost game one. So I got sent to the bottom tables and I was playing Tanya. Yep. And Tanya had brought a Crystal Gore list, <laughs> which means that the Terrorgeist and Zombie Dragons and Flesh Eater Courts get to be battle line. Yep. So her list was two Ghoul Kings on Terrorgeist. Three terror guys in the Royal Menagerie. She loves bringing all those big guys. Go. Yes. Yes, she oh, does. She, does that. she brought cogs. Then she had a summoning pool of some uh, flayers to be able to bring onto the table. Okay. So she out deploys me because she's a three drop. And she gives me the first turn. And I go, okay. We paid for Dark Prophecy as, as part of taking this sub-faction. <laughs> Here we go We're going to see what happens. <laughs> I roll it. And I see that Tanya's going to get the next turn. And I go, okay. Not great. We're going to figure this out, though. So we are playing the Blade's Edge. Yep. With six objectives. Six yep. objectives. And so I push my Untamed Beast up to go score. I just tag my objective to the bottom left with mm-hmm. my Varengard. And I give them the Archeon command ability that when they fight, when they die, they fight. Over on my right side, I, I push up to score my objective. So I score four points, top of one. Okay. Now, Tanya is not going to be fooled by my shenanigans. Of course not. And so sees that, you know, that I'm doing that. She goes, okay, cool. I probably have the double. You know, she moves things up to try and position for the double, which she obviously gets, which I reveal. And then she charges in, kills my Chaos Warriors, kills my Chaos Knights. She uses a command point to fight again, which is where I use my By My Will to give the Varengard the pion and fight when they die, which means that as they got munched by a ghoul king on Terrorgeist, they fought and they did a bunch of wounds to it. A Terrorgeist charged in and tried to fight Archeon, and Archeon did a, a bunch of damage to it and ended up killing it. Top of two. And so I am left with Archeon, my Chaos Lord, my Chaos Sorcerer Lord, and like two Varengard. Things are not looking great yeah. in my neck of the woods. So I go, okay. Archeon's, you know, full tilt though. He casts Mesmerizing Mirror. I do four mortal wounds to the injured Ghoul King on Terrorgeist. Kill that one. Cool. I go, I charge the other Ghoul King on Terrorgeist. Slayer King's that one. Yeah. I get the double two into three because I continue to be hurt by Dark Prophecy at this point. So I think, no. Archeon goes over, <laughs> kills 
Another terror geist. That's three down at this point? It's four. Four, okay. And the few models I have are going out and scoring objectives now, and some of them are disappearing. That initial advantage I had in objective numbers at the top of one is kind of helping pay off, because even though I don't have a lot of models, I have enough points. In turn four, Archeon kills the last of the terror geist, and that's it. But she had her flares, right? Yeah, but they were too far away, and and the one side I pulled. Oh, the, they were out of position. I pulled the objective off at the one side, and I go, okay, if she wants to use them, it has to come into the meat of the army, and then the other ones where they were, I pulled that objective too. She pulled an objective. In any case, there was a bit of a sequencing where I knew based on where they were that if they wanted to be effective, they were going to have to engage the few models I did have. It was super bloody and super killy, and cool. Archeon just went nuts and basically him himself you know defeated a 2000 point army now he did have some help with the varengard softening yeah. up the one and the chaos warriors and the varengard softening up the other one but archeon's the one that that finished the job on nice. on all of them so great it was well, good to see it. after that kind of disastrous first game where really nothing went right no and nothing did what they were supposed to that archeon did what he was supposed to sure cool that's great what about Great your stuff. game two there, Dan? So I played Christian again, and I say again because I played him when we went to Chicago. Mm-hmm. I had played his Lumineth, just like in Chicago. You know, that's where I, I did it. He brought another Lumineth army. Yeah, except he's got the Windy Boys. Quite different than the one I played before because he had two units of kangaroos, five kangaroos. He had a hero on a horse. He had that bloody Cathalar. Oh, mm-hmm. I hate that. But he had four bricks of ten spearmen backed up by four bricks of 10 each archers archers and i'm going with with me and shooting you know it's yeah dan doesn't like the shooting phase for those of you who have never listened to a podcast (laughs) of ours before oh god but then i step back and i'm like okay let's see how this works out let's try it let's play the game i like that scenario i think that my night haunt can be really good at this scenario just because of how mobile they are that Mm -hmm. they can grab things move around and so i move my coaches towards the middle I had my blade guys on the right side with Lady O. I had a Spirit Torment. I had a Guardian over there so I could. And I did regen my blade guys. He had probably killed about 10 out of 15 by the time I got to his line, but I had brought them all back. So I just kept rolling and rolling and not forgetting to roll like Dan does sometimes. Mm-hmm. Which was great. And so I hit him full force on the right flank when I finally got there. And he was shooting at me, you know, trying to kill stuff, trying to kill my guardian, some other stuff. Yeah. And he had his kangaroos come over. But honestly, they weren't that good on either flank. They just, they were okay. They were, But they were just kind of an annoyance more than really something that I had to really pay attention to. And I still had, again, my 20, my 10 chain rests and my guardian off the board. And I was kind of surprised well, the next thing was I forgot. So he had his 10 cavalry as well. I forgot to mention them. And once again, he charged them like three freaking feet across the board or whatever it was. But this game, he hit my my chain rasps. And the thing they bent, but they didn't break. And now he was locked in. My coaches were right there. So I jumped on him with my coaches. I jumped on him with some chain rasps. And I killed all of his guys again. It was like, just like in Chicago. It's like, this is awesome. <laughs> and I wasn't out of position though, because my coaches are so mobile and you know, they move so fast. And I have my hero there so I could get them to move that extra three inches because of the pendant. But what was kind of surprising was he gave me an opening in his back right flank. He moved forward a little bit, but it gave me plenty of room to drop my 20 and my 10 and my Yeah, you're outside of nine. And one of my rolls, I got a wave of terror off. So I was able to 
charge right into you know but two rounds of combat into the backside of his archers and i got you know kind of locked into his spear but his whole right flank was kind of locked in then and i had enough bodies after i killed guys that i could take that objective nice which was really nice and i had another unit of 10 chain rafts that had moved up to grab that other objective and even though and he had the the five kangaroos there but they weren't enough they couldn't kill enough guys so i was able to get both those objectives and then he took out the objective in the middle on his side of the board it was like well that was an interesting choice because it was exactly what i wanted him to do right is where i wasn't Mm -hmm. so i knew i couldn't get that uh and then he made a damn mistake i would consider he forgot a rule oh no and it was huge because his spearmen can either be in defensive formation you know yeah shining company yep or they can break formation and charge well he wanted to charge but he forgot to declare break so that his guys were still in defensive position he couldn't charge me and i was easily within charge range so he didn't get to charge his spearmen Mm. and i was like that and i didn't even know about it he's the one who remembered he goes oh darn it i forgot it's like i'm glad so so then i was able to charge him on the right flank with all my blade guys and just tear into them lady o was up there so she was able to throw mortals and even though the cathalar was doing what it did she wasn't that big a deal and the shooting from his side was you know it was picking models off it picked up one of my coaches some other things like that but it didn't really destroy my army and because i was finally efficiently bringing models back like i should Mm -hmm. i was fine sure and it was good And, and i learned about that so it ended up being like 12 to 7 i think at the bottom of four and we just called it that was just great it was great to win with them and great to win against Lumineth. You know, we, I tied before because we talked about... And this time, by the way, I didn't forget to take my turn. Very good, Dan. I'm very <laughs> proud of you for yeah, taking right. all of your turns Idiot. of Warhammer. Idiot. Thanks. Anyway, <laughs> I even showed Christian. I said, see this? He goes, oh, that's so you don't forget your turn? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I put that on the side and my little marker. Anyway, so a great... And he's a great opponent. I love the fact that he marks everything you had talked about, people who don't. That's a very complicated army to play. Like there is. And I have so much respect for him that he can handle all those different... Parts. That one's a lot of bookkeeping, not just for your opponent, but for you yourself. Oh, yes. Those are tokens for you. Yeah. Those are tokens so that you remember what it is that you're going to be doing, yeah. not for any other reason. Well, and one of the most annoying things was, was all the minus ones to hit. Mm-hmm. He goes... I guess you're just assuming that he said this to me. He goes, you're just assuming that I'm minus one on everything, right? I'm like, yeah, kind of, because <laughs> you are. You're just using all these rules and stuff. But it was cool. He's a great guy and was really happy to have to won against him. So yeah. that was my game, too. Yeah, so that's it for day one. Like I said, we did only four games, two Saturday, two Sunday, three-hour, 15-minute rounds. So we were actually done relatively early. You know, versus the usual kind of, you know, 8 p.m. or whatever. If we had played a third game on Saturday, we'd have been done at 9. Yeah. Everyone went and got dinner. You know, some people got it at the hotel and ate in the room. Some people went out to go get local Milwaukee fare and ate and came back. And But ultimately, like Dan said earlier, it ended up with just everybody in the room, just in, you know, a couple of big circles, just, you know, chatting and having some beers and enjoying the evening. Yeah which then would bring us to game three and day two, where that is Places of Arcane Power. And I drew Alex Milonis of the Pants Mafia and his daughters of Kane, Keltnar, yes. with Marathi. And I go, ah, it's going to be a tough one. Yep. Marathi in Places of Arcane Power is really good. That is a good list to have for that mission. That's what I got to play. So you got to figure out your way to do it. So he has Keltnar, 
Marathi, big and small, a Bloodrack Medusa, Morgoth, and you know the rest of her band. Twenty Sisters of Slaughter, ten Combat Snakes, ten Shooting Snakes, ten Combat Canaries, and then the Viperic Guard Battalion. So he finishes deploying before me. He takes the first turn, and then he makes a very crucial mistake. He forgot how the mission scored. Mm-hmm. So he moves on to the middle objective with Big Marathi, meaning that Marathi controls it. Yep. He moves onto the objective with Little Marathi thereafter, which means nothing. And then, you know, does some shooting, you know, takes out my Chaos Sorcerer Lord, so I'm not going to be able to reroll saves because Kyle had obviously told him that that's a big key of my list. Mm-hmm. But then he charges off of his objective with Big Marathi, meaning that no one controls it because no one has moved onto the objective mm-hmm. after that model had controlled it or nobody had slain that hero as another hero within range of the objective. Mm-hmm. Marathi kills three of my Varengard, kills four of my knights, oh, she is just... and does you know a couple of wounds to Archeon. Archeon swings back, does the obligatory three, and I'm sitting there going... Not great. I'm down, you know, one of my units that's really supposed to do quite a bit. And in this case, the Varengard, or not the Varengard, the uh, the knights were there to kind of take the screen around the corner with me because I had used the Untamed Beast on one of the other sides to force Marathi or anybody that was going to fight me basically into this screen. And then I was going to fight over the top of it with my Varengard, which had died, and Archeon because I was figuring for sure that the snakes were going to be coming from that direction. Sure. That did not happen. We had found in top of one that he had scored zero points. And I go, okay, dark prophecy time. Let's see if I can get the double turn, or at least know, you know, what is going to happen here so that I can position my units, you know, appropriately. I roll it. Yes. I'm getting the double turn. So I go, okay. So I'm going to retreat. Archeon out of that combat with Big Marathi, because Big Marathi can do some damage, especially when I'm not re-rolling mm-hmm. saves. I swing my Varengard up around the right flank. I charge Big Marathi with my Chaos Warriors, and I was able to cast Binding Damnation on the 10 snakes, meaning that they fight last in the combat phase. The Varengard make the charge into the combat snakes. I don't activate with them, because... Their target isn't going to be able to fight until I'm done fighting. Mm-hmm. And the Chaos Warriors valiantly charged into Marathi and did their three wounds and then promptly died because I had retreated the Chaos Knight, you know, back out. My Chaos Lord, I had run to the left to go grab the objective that he was pushing onto with his 20 Sisters of Slaughter and Morgoth. Nobody had controlled it yet. It was a little too far. Then the Varengard proceed to mulch the 10 combat snakes, mm. which was pretty all right. I get the double turn. I charge onto the middle objective with Archeon, staying outside of three of Big Marathi. Mm-hmm. I charge onto the one objective with my Chaos Lord, you know, to go fight some Sisters of Slaughter. And then my Varengard charge into the 10 combat snakes. Ultimately, will pile in in Tokyo Drift to fight the Canaries. Of course. I probably shouldn't have done it in the way that I did it because I didn't need to, but I charged Big Marathi with my lone Chaos Knight with Lance. Yes, yes. And the lone Chaos Knight with Lance charges in and does three wounds and then dies. And then I was standing there and I went, wait a minute. Archeon could have done the three wounds to Little Marathi. I was like, well, but since we're here, I was able to kind of pile in around Little Marathi, stay within three of the objective. And between the Varengard and Archeon, they had... Archeon killed most of the 10 combat snakes. The 10 Varengard Tokyo drifted around, fought the canaries, killed a lot of them, 
They pile in, they kill one of them. I kill the one that's in range to fight, you know, mm-hmm. when it dies. And then I kill the rest of the unit with the Varengard that had died because I had charged their plus one damage. Over on my left, the Chaos Lord is fighting relentlessly against these Sisters of Slaughter. And they actually do more wounds to him by dying mm-hmm. than, than they did to him oh, yes. on the front end. Ugh. Obviously, bottom of two... Alex has to make a gambit to try and win this game, and, and the way to do that is by killing Archeon, because he's probably going to be able to kill the Chaos Sorcerer, the Chaos Lord, with the Sisters of Slaughter, and if not, just with the mortal wounds from them dying. I kind of accepted that reality. But I had taken, you know, that point once, and if he survives, cool, great, awesome, fantastic, mm-hmm. all the more difficult to win the game. Sure. So he charges in with Big Marathi at Archeon, and then I spend, you know, a command point to reroll save rolls of one, but he fluffs all of his rolls. Oh. And Archeon takes like seven, eight damage total. Uh. And Marathi, even at nine wounds taken, can do some damage. Mm-hmm. So then Archeon turns around, spikes him into the ground. Both Marathis die. Great. The Chaos Lord gets killed. And I'm like, okay, I think we got this one. Yeah. The Varengard, you know, come around the corner. Uh, Sisters of Slaughter go in and try and kill Archeon with just a bevy of mortal wounds. They're unsuccessful in that endeavor. Archeon just, you know, wipes them off the table. And the Varengard do a bunch of damage. So that basically all that's left is Archeon on the table. Except for the Snake Endless Spell. And the Varengard have a 5-up to ignore the effects of spells and endless spells. Uh I don't think I've rolled that successfully in all seven of my games that I have played with them to this point. (laughs) And they go and he rolls... Two out of three are five ups. That unit of Varengard is dead. So all I have left at the end of the game is a unit of Untamed Beasts, an Archeon, and I had misread the Auxiliary. I had taken the bait, and I had picked the Untamed Beasts, and so they were supposed to die before the end of the third battle round. We had missed that, so I was trying to kill them before the end of the game. So I'm rolling them over deadly terrain, I'm casting endless spells at them to try and do damage to them, and I can't kill ten wounds of Untamed Beasts because in Host of the Everchosen you don't take Battleshock tests. And, well, even if they died, I wouldn't have gotten the auxiliary. At the end of the game was this wild, like, I was trying to run across a bunch of different deadly pieces of terrain, and Mm -hmm trying to use the mirror to do mortal wounds them and roll high enough to kill them, and I just couldn't. And, Ugh. yeah, it was what it was. Yeah. Uh, it was a really fun game. It was uh, very enjoyable. It would have been very tough if he had moved on to that objective first with Little Marathi. Mm-hmm. I think I still might have been able to take it, just in the way that the game went out, but him and I talked at the end of it, and I think if he had gone to one of the far objectives with Big Marathi and Little Marathi to the center objective, mm-hmm. that, that would have been too tall of an order well, for me Well, he could have held those objectives for like three turns probably, yeah? In minimum two. Okay. Minimum two. But he wouldn't have been charging in with Marathi to do three wounds the first time, so I would need to have doubled him and then maintained priority into three, so he would have held it for two turns in, in that yep. sense. But. Yep. Okay. What that also means is I would have had to have gone to the unheld objective with probably Archeon and then tried to fight Marathi off of the one objective with 
all of my not Archeon related things. Sure. I think that's where it would have been tough. It's not impossible. It would have been really hard, borderline. And insert. he still had other stuff rolling around too. Yeah. So, now, yeah, thankfully, been... my double took care of literally all of the really scary stuff. You know, the 20 total snakes, 10 combat, 10 shooting, and then the 10 canaries, which never got the chance to charge. Mm-hmm. That took care of a lot for me with the one unit of three Varengard that just went, all right, men forward and then (laughs) they rode in and piled in and fought twice and fought when they died and they did a lot of killing off the charge that plus one damage really pays off big time when you're able to get them fighting multiple times sure you're getting a lot of mileage out of those 280 points that you're spending for every three of them perfect so great that was my game three and i did actually a demonstration game Game three, uh, I played Tim, and he had great guy. He, just a real sportsman, real gentleman. And he had his five uh, bloodthirsters and 15 corn dogs, three units of five corn dogs. And so my plan, at least, I still had my, you know, two units of chain rats, my guardian off the board. My plan was I had two coaches and my hero. Mm-hmm. And I was planning on going after one of the objectives with that because I'd have a hero there and hopefully taking off his bloodthirst because I Yeah, right. I- you use the coaches to break whatever is there and then the hero just moves on to it. Right. After that was my hope. Yeah. I think they could, if they had gotten there, they definitely could have had the impact on that bloodthirster and killed Good But why didn't they make it there then? Well, here's the thing. And then I had my Blake Geist in the front. I had Lady O, my hero. My spirit torments, chain rasps, all ready to go. Obviously, he beat me on drops. Everyone and, does. And he moved his, one of his rage thirsters. and The exploding axe thurster. Yes, yep. and rolled two sixes. So everything within eight inches took eight mortal wounds. Lady O was down to one. Took out you know half my, almost all of two-thirds of my blade guys. Almost took out a unit of chain rasps. Took out half the wounds off of both of my coaches. Killed my hero, killed my torment. That was just the top of one. Sure. Now, if old Dan would have just said, thanks, Tim. Pack it up, pack it in. But Dan was like, no, we're going to give this a shot. So I healed Lady O up because I could do that. Mm -hmm. She did a yeoman's job. She put nine mortals on this guy, on the Rage Thurster. And everybody else who could contributed one wound left. One freaking wound, dude. Unfortunately. He had a command point. And we were playing in the realm of Gur, And he spent it. And it was as though he wasn't wounded. Yeah. So he rolled again. You know, I attacked. He was able to roll again. He rolled two more sixes. Eight more mortal wounds to everything. So 16 mortal wounds to everything within eight. My army was freaking decimated. It was like, good game. Awesome. Yeah, that one's a little tough to ask to fight off of. No matter when. who you are. Yeah. And But Tim was so great. He's like, did you still enjoy you know, our game time and stuff? It's like, yeah, you know what? It's a game. You rolled like a god. It's awesome. And nothing I can do about yeah, it. And there isn't. And we talked about some of the other things in that particular scenario I could have possibly done. But almost no matter what I did, it was going to be really, really difficult. No matter how well I played my army. To take the objectives and, and get the points. Yeah, because his list is five bloodthirsters and like two is three units of five dogs. Yep. His whole list is built around heroes. He's absolutely built perfectly for this mission. Absolutely. And it's one of those things where that's a tough out because the sixes to wound is is tough to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any turn where you roll two of them, you know, you're feeling like, like oh my god. That was the combat phase of the tournament. Yeah. 
He does it twice back to back. Oh my God. It was amazing. There's nothing you can do about no, that. It, and that's one of those ones where just like you did, you just, you just shake it off and go, that was crazy. Good job, man. Like, that's, you know what? And now I know. Mm-hmm. So it was good. I, so that's it. I mean, that was game three for me. We had a lot of time. So I walked around to other tables and watched other people play. And uh, you were standing like, around watching my game a lot. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it was great. Yeah, it was fine. You know, what can you do? Nothing. He did the same thing to Mark, you know, earlier. So it was. And that like, was a bloodthirst off. So yeah. whoever did that first was the one that was going to win the game. Yeah, and so Tim won that game. Yeah. Very good. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's a great guy. Game four. Game last, four is four. The hand. The way that I did the pairings is, you know, I associated everybody with, you know, their club or people that they play pretty regularly. And so I reshuffled people, you know, to keep them from playing their regular club mates unless they absolutely had to. Mm-hmm. And really that was for the top end of the event. So I did all the reshuffling I could. And at the end, it meant that I had to play Nick mm-hmm. so that everybody else could play somebody that's. Mm-hmm. They normally don't get to play. Yeah. And obviously, I've known Nick for a number of years now, and you know him and I will get together and, and play a couple of games and things like that. It's just a hot knife through butter. My army does so much damage yep. that there's just nothing. Even at minus one to hit, it doesn't matter. You yeah. Know, with his netter, it didn't matter. Because I get plus one to hit on my Varengard for Archeon yeah. being on the table. Yep. And so he drops a spider down. He scores four points, top of one, and then just chaos happens i send three of my varengard into a 60 brick and kill like 40 of them now they were in the aura of the loon shrine so they didn't have to take battle shock but you know that's 40 down i don't have to worry about you know kind of scooting away from that objective Mm -hmm. the spider dies the troll dies archeon kills the trolls Uh, he's in combat with shooters if i get the double the next set of Varengard are moved into a position to, you know, to take out another unit. The Chaos Knights were the ones that killed the spider, which gave Archeon the opportunity to pile in and fight the trolls. Mm-hmm. And then he had the pile in and fight again from the Chaos Lord, which he piled in and fought the trolls and killed the trolls. I got the double into... No, he kept top of two. He backed off with the shooters. He, you know tried to, you mm-hmm. know, oh, yeah. recover from it. He tried to toss, because, again, I don't have a lot of models, so he tried to toss some things over onto, you know, my objectives. I rolled, like, a 12 on the unbind or something like that. My list just came down like a hammer. Just mulched him, yeah. And we got to, like, turn three, and he's like, hey, man, I'm good. And I'm like, I appreciate that. I was like, I do have, like, this one other secondary that I'm trying to get. I said, it's not totally... 100% possible. I was like, I can get it. Are you willing to, you know, finish playing the game with me? He goes, yeah, cool. He goes, because I was like, I would feel bad asking to have it, you know, marked down if we're going to concede no. the game because I could have gotten it, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, like I had to get two units to fail a battle shock test and I kept killing the whole units, but one of the other ones was to kill three units in the same turn. Sure. And I kept killing two units in the same turn and he has that little group of heroes and I, I just couldn't get that one. And, but I'm glad we played it out because then it gave me, you know, a, a true result of my event. And he was yeah. he was a good sport about it. And he, if he had said, you know, no, man, I don't want to keep playing, I'd have taken oh, it sure. as it was. And we'd have walked away from it. Always cool to play him. I love seeing him. Yeah, obviously, you know, you really like playing him. You grudge him at every event that yeah. you guys can. And you use each other as kind of a, a measuring stick of, of your progress through your different hobby journeys. So that was my game four. And in your game four, you played my game three opponent, which was a very similar list to the one that I had beat you top of one with. Yes. And before your game, I came around to you and I said, you have played this list before. <laughs> Good luck. 
The only difference was the 20 Sisters of Slaughter versus 20 Witches. And and he had Morgweth instead of my... I just took a hag. I looked at it and I thought about the game we had played and looked at how he deployed. I put off my usual Chain Rafts and Guardian, but the one thing I decided to do that made a big difference was I put my unit of Blade Guys off the board. Hmm. So I had four units underground. He, of course, went first. You know, he was grabbing some objectives and stuff, but he couldn't get to my three-pointer. I intentionally put that far enough away. He did, though, roll around to my right flank for that objective, and he I had a unit of 20 Chain Rafts over there, and he had locked them in and kind of engaged one of the ends of them. It was like, oh man, they're, they're spread out. They're, they're going to get locked in with these guys. And then I'm looking at the board going, you know what? He gave me some room in the back, probably about four, three or four inches on the back edge of the board on his edge. So I took my harrow. I moved it to that back edge. I pulled that unit of probably, I think I had about 15 or 16 left of chain rafts out of that combat, moved it to the back edge of the board. I dropped my 20. I dropped my 10. I moved my coaches towards the middle objective. I dropped my blade guys. It was like, oh my gosh. It- <laughs> yeah, so this is the thing I, I'm always telling this people is- about of playing the same army a bunch because these are creative maneuvers that, that you have started to see, that you've started been able to visualize. And you know, there's more that you're going to describe in this game because I've yes. already heard how this one goes. Where, where these are different opportunities that you're only seeing now because you know, you've played the Night Haunt book for 20, 30 games now. Yeah. And you know the fights you can win, and you know the fights you, you're going to lose. And this was, you know, you talked about a gambit in your game. Mm. This was a gambit to move those guys, drop them where I did. I wanted, the, I got two waves of terror off. I got one on one of my 20s, on my 20 unit, and I got one on one of my coaches. Nice. Which was nice, because what I could do then. Those do so much damage My coach came in the middle, and they hit one of the ends of his fighty snakes, his punchy snakes, and really tore into them. And then the other thing I was able to do was I was able to engage his shooty snakes from the back with all those chain rafts. And the one chain rafts unit that didn't make its wave of terror rolled a nine on the charge. Mm. So I still got it in, which was great. But using my hero like that, my hero was the hero of my game. It truly was, because I'm going to talk about other things that he did to just get stuff where it needed to be. So he rolled around since I'd moved that one chain rasp unit out. He had rolled around over that one objective, was moving towards the second one. I had a guardian and 10 chain rasps on it. And I had Ladio and 10 chain rasps on my three-pointer. His three-point objective was the one where I had charged all those models in. So I actually, turn one, I was able to take his three-point objective. Mm-hmm. In the next two turns, Brendan, I took his three-point objective. And it just was so great to play that way, to be able to do that, to look at the objective, see where I could go. Then turn two, you know, I had those Blake guys over there, but they were by themselves. So what I did was I moved my hero to the other side of the board where they were, and I actually moved my spirit torment to them, which was perfect. To give them the re-rolls and they had access to some healing and... Everything that they needed, which was great. That's where the hero was. He moved to the other side of the board again. And then we just kept playing. You know, I grabbed that center objective as well because I had my coaches there. But then he moved Marathi over onto Uh. it. And boom, you know, they were were pretty much toast after she hit him for two turns. But I charged my Blake guys in on that other end objective. He had his 20 Sisters of Slaughter there. He had a Medusa. And he had both... You know, the martyr sacrifice. So when the fives or sixes pulling models, that killed me. And when she rolled sixes to saves, because I had this volume of attacks, I had 13 blade guys hit him. And I was, you know, plus one attack as I was charging. Killed nine of them with mortal wounds. I had four left. Mm -hmm. And it was all mortal wounds. And there's nothing I could do about that. I was still in not bad shape because my spirit torment was there. I could bring some models back. Ended up bringing one back. 
But I remember to do that during the battle shock phase, which is when that happens. It's important, yes. And you know, we, I knew we were pulling enough models, so that wasn't a problem because you only have to pull three models somewhere off the board. And then he dropped the snake back there. Mm. And he had moved Morgwith, who's over there, and his Medusa over there. Well, he dropped the snake, and he rolled three fives Oof. and took out the Spirit Torment. It was gone. So I'm like, oh, I've got four guys here. Morgoth has her unit, you know. So it was like, okay, Dan, think. What are you going to do? How are you going to get out of this paper you bag? You get to move the snake. Okay, fine. I got this. I moved the snake back over, rolled my dice, and took out his Medusa, which was awesome. Plus, Brendan, it was a nullify piece of terrain. Snakes are gone. Took out a model. Snakes away. I'm in not bad shape on that side of the board, really. Mm-hmm. But I still have my hero orb. So what I did next turn then was I moved my hero again, and I pulled one of the bigger units of chain rats back over towards him. I kept that three-point objective again. And the problem was now, though, I was starting to run out of models because he was just chewing through me slowly but surely. And my whole army is damage one. Let's just be honest here. You know, even with the volume of attacks that I can have with my Blade Geist or whoever, it's still tough. And I had put three wounds on Marathi. My coaches had hit her. So I got that. But she was pretty much untouched. I had killed all of his punchy snakes. He had like five of the shooty snakes left. And then I did another cool damn move this time. I retreated a unit of chain rasps out of combat. I ran them, and they moved to the other side of that three-point objective and took it, mm. which was awesome cool. It was like, that is exactly how you play this game. And yeah. I felt really good about doing that kind of stuff. Bottom of four, well, top of four, I was at 20 to 14. Good shape. You know, it was in great shape. But because he was just destroying everything on the board. Now, there's only eight points available right. on the table in any given battle right. round. And then the next so That's uh, quite the separator. Yeah, it is. But because of the fact that I was just losing all these units and I couldn't hold on to stuff, it was at the bottom, it was 21-20. Really close. But I knew that next turn, I was going to be gone. Mm -hmm. There's just nothing I could do. And I used my hero one more time so that he moved the the three-point objective from where those chain rafts were on the end to the center. And he's like, ah, Marathi's here. Awesome. So I moved my hero to it. And then... I moved my guardian who was there and I ran him and I had two models on the objective and I took it again. It was like, yes, that's awesome. What I maybe should have done, I thought about this, mm-hmm. was space them better because he moved Marathi right in and killed them both. Yeah. Right? But if I had spaced them better, but the problem was he still had shooty snakes. He could have killed them. He still had little Marathi with her spell and you know all the other things he could have done. He would have still killed both of them. Probably, yes. Yes, there's a really good chance of that. He still had, I had, I think, three chain rats left because he had killed Lady O. And I would have been tabled in turn five. That would have given him the game. But I am just really, really happy with the way my army played and the way I played my army. That is probably one of the best games I have ever played my night hunt. I did everything I needed to do, used all my rules, used the rules of the game. Alex was a great opponent. Really, really happy. Disappointed I lost because I I thought I had it. Mm -hmm. But really, really happy. And in context, Brendan, you know, I said this yesterday too. When I look at the meta, you know, nine weeks, um, daughters have been in the top five, winningest. Nighthawk haven't been in the top 10 in the last nine weeks. Sure. So in terms of army capabilities overall, everything else being equal, I think my Nighthawk really did a yeoman's job of hanging in there and doing a good job in the game. Right. So really, really happy with that game, though. 
So happy with that. Yeah, so that's it. That's the close of the event. Yep. In terms of awards, Steve Potasik got the most behemoths killed. He won it by one. Isaiah Ramchick got the most kill points yep. against the Pants Mafia crew and won a pair of pants. He also won Filthiest List. Of course, with his Eidneth, yeah. I won Most Endless Spells Dispelled because I used the Zinch Head of Archeons yep. to dispel endless spells for free, and I had two in my list, and that was part of my plan going in. I wanted a crack at that. Alex Gonzalez was the highest finish with at least 800 points of the same War Scroll. Mike Westendorf was the highest finish of somebody who had only one hero in their army. And then in terms of the bigger awards, Mark Ramchick won... Oh, sorry. Mike Westendorf also won most secondaries. He tied with Isaiah, so it came down to tiebreakers. Mark Ramchick won best sportsmanship. Oh, yeah. Nick McKenna won best paint. By Alex- a long shot, man. It was a landslide. Oh, that tableware. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alex Gonzalez won best best general. Yeah. And he was the only person to go uh, 4-0 the weekend. And then Mike Westendorf won the whole thing because this is pack of scoring. Even though he went 3-1, and one, you know, he got a number of paint points. He got, you know, a sportsmanship vote. All those things combined, you know, put him at the total. And that means that he had 67 points. Second place was Alex Gonzalez and Nick McKenna, both with 66 points. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an interesting place to talk about this. Nick McKenna is my friend. Yeah. And I knew going into that game that if he won, he was probably going to win the event. Would have been so Because he scored almost maximum points on his paint. Yes. That just drove him up in the standings, which was great. Huge, 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 huge. I love Nick. I love him as a. I want him to win an event. But if you're my clubmate and we're playing game five, or, you know, in, in this case, you got to beat me for the win. I'm yeah. not giving it to you. Yeah. It's not right to everybody else at the events. No. Uh, it's, no. it's not right no, and it's no, not no, fair because no. everybody else is playing their games. You play to win. You, you play to win. And you should do that. I wanted him to beat me game four. I really did, yeah. but I wasn't going to take my foot off the gas and yeah. give him something that he didn't earn. It, really cool to see him come in second. Glad he got that best paint, really cool. you know, as the consolation prize for him. Yeah, but a little bit of table morals for you. You play it all the way through, my guys. Absolutely. But a good weekend, fun weekend. And then at the end, normally at Bruce City Brawl, you know, you've paid raffle tickets and things like that. But almost everybody brought something to, to donate as a giveaway. A couple of folks pitched in and bought a Cursed City. So rather than selling raffle tickets we actually had enough for everybody that was there at the end of the event we got everybody in a big circle and had folks roll off dice off and nick was the only person to roll a six out of that first group so that means that i put him first you know that he gets to go first in line he got the cursed cities and then everyone kept rolling off you know we formed the line the rest of the way and then everyone just went one at a time and grabbed the thing you know it was great it was was a good way to do it and we got swag dan you you did bring swag dan at the suggestion of cindy had ended up purchasing a coffee mug tea mug with no Depticon that, you know, everybody got. And this was a surprise to me at the end of the event, too. Uh, so, Dan, that was really cool. That was super nice. You 100% didn't need to do that. But it was, I know it's something that, that folks will have, and, and it'll be just kind of a, a cool touchstone memory for the people that were able to go. Yeah. So that's great. Just a wonderful weekend, Brendan. Thank you again for all your work and putting it together and everybody else who contributed to it. But just that's about my limit of what I can do in terms of running and playing the events over the course of a couple days. I want to, you know, be able to provide updates in the middle of it. I found I can really only do two out of three. I can do some combination of, you know, playing, giving updates and TOing. 
and I was playing and TOing, which meant that I really was not posting was update. Fine. Nobody, I don't think that made a difference. So I think there were some folks on Twitter who would have liked to have seen, Perhaps, uh, but, you know, a little bit eh. more, but. It just deal with it. Is what it is at this point. <laughs> so that's it. The tournament recap. I know you haven't heard one in a while from us, so happy to give it to you here, and hopefully we've got more coming up. Yep. Sounds good. Let's move on then to Scriptor, Brendan. All right, first thing, new releases, as usual. We have three major new releases. First is Mortis, which is the next book in the Siege of Terra series. I believe is John French who wrote the first book. And it is focused at least on the Mortis Titan Legion, which mm-hmm. was the first Titan Legion to rebel against the Imperium on Mars. That's where they were stationed at the time, and they joined the Chaos Fabricator General. This is going to somehow revolve around them. Second new release is Duty Calls. It's the next audiobook of Caiaphas Cain, so I can't wait to listen to that while I'm hobbying. And then there's an old series that was out for a long time, and they've kind of re-emerged. It's kind of come back. It's called Inferno, and it's just a collection of short stories. Um, if you have any inkling that you might enjoy Warhammer stories, I really would suggest you at least give Inferno a try. It's great little tiny pieces, quick snippet reads. Give that a go. So, Brendan, how about reads, watches, and listens for you, my friend? So, in terms of quote-unquote reads, you know, working through that Audible subscription that you gave me, yeah. the one book that I can discuss here is I was listening to The Solar War, and I finished that up yesterday. <laughs> the very first Siege of Terra. The very first Siege of Terra, because, you know, that's one of the things that I, I want to know more about in the... 40k 30k lore universe yeah and the end of that book (laughs) is incredible that is a twist and something that i was not expecting at all because periodically throughout the book there is a flashback scene and the whole time i was listening to it i was like what because like each time it's a little bit different I'm like, what is the point of this because like not a lot is covered in the flashback that Uh you listen to and Oh, my God. The end of that book is just wild. Yes, it's great. So I recommend that one. That one was a real interesting one. So I picked up The Lost and the Damned. Mm -hmm. And then I picked up another one because Audible is having all these different sales all the time. Of course. And so there was a nonfiction book for $6 by Dan Carlin, who's the guy who does the Hardcore History podcast that I grinded through. He wrote a book about just nuclear history, effectively. Mm -hmm. So I picked that up. So that's going to be on my listening as well as the other book that I'm listening in the background that we're not going to talk about here. That's what I've been reading, listening to. And then in terms of watches, I started a show on Netflix called This is a Robbery. Mm. It's about a big art heist in Boston. I don't know if it's very good. I'm only one episode in, but it has my attention. You're enjoying it so far? Yeah, I mean, one okay. one episode worth. I don't know where it's headed. I fear it might not be very good just on some of the things that they have already talked about to this point. But I'm going to feel it out because eh, it could be. It's just in my gut. I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is going to be a coin flip of how this one goes. Okay. All right. So yeah. they're not all great. No, like those four part mini documentaries that Netflix does, those mini series are consistently pretty good. Mm-hmm. Some of them are real stinkers. Uh, <laughs> but like, this is the first like middle ground one that okay. I, after the first episode, I'm like, I'm interested. You're withholding judgment. I was like, but normally like their fourth episodes are usually pretty not great okay but this is after the first one where i was like i think this one might run out of steam after two okay Uh, (laughs) it's all right you have choices man that's what it's all about so that's what i've been up to dan as usual you have uh, about 15 bullet points here (laughs) no 
I'm listening to Luther, mm-hmm. uh, the book Luther. It's really interesting. It really revolves around Luther's recollections of the Caliban of the past mm-hmm. when he first discovered the lion as a basically a barbarian running through as the a forest. feral child. Yeah, it kind of was. And you get such a really good idea what Caliban was and how it came you know, into the Imperium and what that was, that process was like. And it's really enjoyable because even if you read the two Dark Angel books in the Heresy, it also gives you a really strong background about why Luther and the Fallen wanted to be independent from the Imperium. And I think they had great reasoning when you think about what happened to Caliban. Sure. Uh, and what the Imperium did to it. So really, really a good listen. So I'm looking forward to finishing that. I started my first Genevieve story, that book that has four of her books in it. And so I'm going to plan on getting through the first story. I have Curse City in the queue. I now have Alpharius. Right. I have Alpharius in the queue. So I think what I'm going to do is hit one of those two mortis i didn't buy yet i know i want to but my god brendan that book is like three inches thick i mean compared to some of the other books in the series and they, well i don't know how huge. you can do that much comparison shopping saturnine is that size it's, it's bigger than saturnine oh good it's lord it's huge i'm looking forward to getting to saturnine yes. but it's oh my god i've seen it on your shelf and i just went Oh boy. It's like ginormous, this book. So that'll fit into the queue. That'll and then I think when I get through those, I'll cycle back to Genevieve. And hopefully by then, fingers crossed, it'll be time for the vampires, which will be perfect. Because she is a vampire. And she was my inspiration for loving vampires. That's my reading and what I have in my queue. The greatest amazing news on Netflix is that Love, Death, and Robots is back for its second season on May 14th. So like two and a half, three weeks to go for you. Yeah. And for those who haven't watched the trailer for season two, you need to watch the trailer. I think it will be fascinating enough that you will consider watching the show. I would recommend you watch the first season before you watch this one. So if you haven't watched it already. Now, the other thing that was finished, and this is spoiler alert time. Yep. Okay. Major spoiler alert. If you don't want to know about who the Yellow King is in the book penitence now is your time to leave the podcast or skip ahead to this or that or show close whatever you like whatever's important to you i'm trying to do enough stalling for you that you have the ability to reach into your pocket grab your phone and at least press pause so all that you know we're not just going to do spoiler and just announce it give you a chance to maybe pull your car over turn the volume down do what you got to do if this isn't enough time heaven help you it's on you now yeah this is like a minute and a half of of trying to stall for time for you so dan the spoiler alert to the penitent for our listeners is the yellow king is who i'm going to read Brendan, out okay. of the last paragraph. Man Reads Book on Podcast. Yes, I love it. it's awesome. This is Beta Beckwin, who the books are about. And she is talking, basically looking at Eisenhorn and the chair who is Ravener. So Dan's going to read a paragraph here. If yeah. you don't want to hear this. Don't. Listen. Leave now. <laughs> this is your last chance. So, I can't stop him once he starts. This is Beta. She's talking. She says, I waited. I looked at Eisenhorn. We have his name, I said. His jaw clenched. He glanced at the chair. Like me, they were both expecting the worst. The name of a lost Primarch son. The name of a demon. Of a god. Of the emperor above all whose true name, once spoken and known, might pull reality apart or command the cosmos. Renner Lightburn's voice returned. I have it here, he said. Beta. The name begins as follows. I listened. I nodded. I turned to the warband. The name of the king 
is Constantine Valdor. <laughs> Boom. Oh my God. That's insane. Not unexpected, though. You had made that prediction in our last episode. A couple episodes, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's a shock to read the words and see it. But if you have any knowledge of the heresy, if you understand at all who Valdor is, it makes sense. From the very beginning, if you read his book, he has always despised the creation of the Space Marines and the Primarchs. In the modern story in Indominus. The Custodes despise the Primaris. They despise Gilliman coming back. They still hate Space Marines. In fact, there's some short stories where they literally kill Loyalist Space Marines. You're going, what is going on? All these things then that they tie in in the book as you're reading further and further Independent and actually ties in the idea that has existed for a long time that we had 20 Primarchs at one point. Mm. Two were lost to time and history. Valdor has always been considered the Primarch of the Custodes Legion. So he may very well be one of the lost Primarchs now. When you think about what the Yellow King is doing, he's trying to basically tear apart the Imperium, the you know ecclesiastic uh, side of it, everything that exists. And basically what he's trying to do is take it back to the time before the Space Marines came and take it back to this idealistic view of what the Emperor wanted to be, this secular empire. That makes sense. It makes sense that he has the ability and the knowledge based on who Valdor was and the resources he might have. Very exciting. The next book is called Pandemonium. Pandelirium. Appropriate. But awesomeness. Great to reveal. Thank you, Dan Abnett, for writing that mm -hmm. and pulling that into the story for us. It's, it's just amazing. All right. So with that, we are moving on to this or that. And Brendan, we're back for this or that. Yeah. I'm going to start by asking my questions. Okay. All right. And the funny thing is, guys. Is these questions have already been this, asked. This is so unusual because we never, ever know what the other guy is going to ask. But because we did this yesterday, as Brendan talked out at the beginning of the show, we kind of know. So this is going to go pretty quick. <laughs> So the first That's question, okay. I revised at least one of my questions oh, so, so that, so that there, the would be, there would be one... You refreshed. Yeah, one at least <laughs> moment of genuine surprise for our listeners. Okay. Because normally when we lose episodes, it's the first 30 minutes in the news <laughs> section after we take our break and we go, oh, God dang it. <laughs> this one wasn't our fault. We followed the checklist. There was a technical malfunction. Unfortunately, it meant that we've had to record the podcast uh, a second time. Okay. So my first question is, you have to choose between two tournaments... Mm -hmm. On July 17th or 18th. Circle City or Renegade? My choice is Circle City because they are slightly closer mm -hmm. by about like an hour or so. Mm -hmm. That being said, though, if Circle City sells out and my name isn't on that list, I will happily turn around and try and sign up for Renegade if there are spots available. And okay. if they're both sold out, then I'll just be on both wait lists. And okay. whichever one I can get off of first is the one I'll go to. Perfect. It's perfect, right? Middle of July. Nice, good timing. Yeah. All right. And the next one is you have to see another army. You get to choose what army is across the table from you, Night Haunt or Flesh Eater Courts? I'd much rather see Night Haunt because... <laughs> I just beat it like a steel drum, Dan. Okay. <laughs> Next one is Bellacor or Marathi. In terms of the Broken Realm series, I am very much more 
fond of the Broken Realms Bellacor story. So I listen to almost all of my narrative from Doug, Two Plus Tough. Sure. And if I really like the lore, I know that there's like other snippets and stuff in there. I will go and actually full on and read it. Okay. And listening to his coverage of, you know, both of these. And and then this last week, the Bellacor series spoiler-free portion of this, I don't think that there is a more impactful story in Age of Sigmar that is going to have long-term consequences, Mm -hmm. or sense, rather, the release of 2.0 and the Necroquake. The things that Bellacor is doing is going to have serious and significant consequences to a lot of different characters in the game and in the lore. Mm -hmm. While that's the case that's true with Marathi, Bellacor's is across all the realms. Right. I think it's going to be a pretty big deal, okay. now, unless somebody like cleans it up in one of the other Broken Realm stories. Sure. But he's setting the table for a lot of chaos to to occur. The next one is, would you prefer to run a tournament or play in a tournament? I think I would prefer to play in it. As much as I enjoy running the tournaments, those are very stressful. And I love I love that people have a good time at, at my events. I'm so glad I'm able to do that. I would much rather play because it's just self-contained as to what my quote-unquote stressors are. I don't have to worry about all of it. If there's any drama that occurs, I don't have to go straighten it out <laughs> typically. problem, yeah. Right. Somebody else's job. Okay. Then the last one is if you are going to mark your army right now mm-hmm. that you're playing, are you going to mark it Slanesh or are you going to mark it Nurgle? I think... As the more competitive version, it is Nurgle. So if I'm going to play competitively, I'll give it Nurgle. I really like the go fast, hit things hard, you know, free rerolls of Slanesh. But if I'm going to a tournament with the intent to win with that list to try and squeak out some more value out of what I have, it's Nurgle for the minus one to hit in the shooting phase. Because the one thing that this list is weak to is shooting. shooting. So giving myself another bit of protection that way, I think, would help me in some of those tougher matchups. Perfect. All right. That's it for mine. Okay. So my first question, you have to kind of set your mind back a little bit with Blackstone Fortress. Pretend that you haven't played any games. Mm -hmm. So you've just finished reading the rules for Blackstone Fortress. You've just finished reading the rules for Cursed Cities. You've played neither game of them. At that point in time, which of these are you more excited for? I think because I like the characters more in Curse City, I think the rule set, for some of the reasons I explained, I think the level of complexity or simplicity, depending on how you look at it, just the way the game progresses, because it is it is a journey. It's not just a one-off game. You're, mm. It's a legacy-type game. And for that reason, I think I like Curse City better. Okay. Yeah. Now, staying with Curse City here, obviously we've seen the models for a period of time now that we've read the war scrolls who is your favorite hero i love the ogre yeah i love him man he just his special rule makes me laugh every time i think about it eating dead people makes you stronger is like hilarious i just like and it's so ogre you're eating bodies that ogres do that he's just this smashy big guy so i think you know because usually if you're playing with another person you're going to be playing two characters Mm -hmm. i think i would take him and i would take matthias thulman so those would be my typical two choices, I think. Okay. Yeah. No Depticon was one of the first events that you have been to that was not a five-rounder, but a two-day event. Would you rather play a four-round two-day event or a five-round two-day event, knowing that that first day you're going to 
get done earlier. You're going to have time to hang out. You're not going to be rushing out to dinner versus the five round, which is going to get you to a, a truer winner at some of the larger sized events. You know, I thought about this some more if I would change my mind since you asked me this question mm-hmm. yesterday. And I still think I'm sticking with a five because I think if I invest the time and I invest, you know, to drive wherever it is and to play Sigmar for two whole days, whatever else, I want a real chance to play the game. Mm-hmm. And I want a chance to challenge myself. And the more chances I have in two days to do that, the better I think it is if I'm going to go to an event. So I still think I prefer the five. Okay. As much as I enjoyed getting done at three or four in the afternoon, that was nice. But yeah, if I'm there, let's roll some dice. Okay. Now you've been to a fair number of events to this point. So mm-hmm. there's a it's kind of a small collection of people that you know you have played with some amount of regularity, folks that you know from being involved and hanging out. Would you much rather see a new opponent across the table from you, someone that you've not met and, and really don't have any knowledge of them, their mm-hmm. reputation, this, that, mm-hmm. the other, just a new person or someone that you have familiarity with? I think I'd rather play new people. Okay. As long as I can grudge my first match, whoever, you know, if it's Nick or whatever, I, mm. I really love being able to do that. And Sigmar, I think that's really cool. But I still, no matter what it is, I mean, I've had some great experiences and some not so great experiences. You've had a few, meeting, yes. Meeting people, new people. But I think this, again, part of the reason you go, because at lunchtime or in the evening, you know, whenever it is, you can always hang out with your friends. And that's when you hang out with your friends and you tell tales of glory and all those things, you know. But you have that time with them. So the gaming time should be with whoever ends up across the table from you. That's kind of how I look at it. Okay. My last question, which is my new question. Yes. This is the first time we've lost a full episode. Yes. We've lost 30 minutes or an hour before... And we have put systems in place to to try and prevent that from happening. Yes. And this is just, the machine spirit was not cooperating no. with us. No. What was the worst part about having to record the episode okay. of a full second time? I'm just going to tell you, it was having to make that phone call. Okay. And tell you that we were going to have to record a second time. I just hate doing that because we both spend the time, but I hate having to use up somebody else's time like that and and feel like I've wasted the time. So that was the hardest part was saying to Cindy, oh, I got to call Brennan now. Because you asked me, you know, because we'll talk about scheduling episode 73 here in a minute. And like we had like I had just left. I had been home for 15 minutes or something like that. Yeah. And you, you call me and say, when are you around to schedule episode 72? And my brain didn't process it at first. And I wanted to be like, Dan, we just talked about this. Like, I got to figure out, you know, like when Mother's Day is. But my brain clicked before I could get to that answer. And I was like, that's episode 73. And I go, no. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> that was the worst part, man. It was so bad. Uh, and you know what was weird? I actually went to the disc, you know, because we use an SD card. Sure. That's where I record this thing. And I actually recovered a file, and it was like a third of the show, maybe. But I couldn't open it then. That made it mm. even worse. It was like, yeah, because because oh, then we could have recorded whatever we didn't, yes, you know, whatever we like, didn't have. And it's no. just... So anyway, Ugh. all good, man. Well, here we are. Is what it is. Yep. And we're moving on with technology, and we are going to close this bad boy out, Brennan. It's a lot faster the second time. Who'd have guessed? <laughs> there is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Okay. Episode 73 is next, mm-hmm. and we're going to figure out two weeks. Hopefully, if we're not going to do one on Sunday, we can do one on Saturday. Yep. So that would be the weekend of the May 9th and 10th, I believe. Yep. So we got to figure out Mother's Day plans. And but we yes. are going to do Broken Realms Bellicor. 
We are going to talk about that. Yeah, and I do think we should go back and cover Broken Realms Techless at some point. Absolutely. I, I know that you are super excited for Bellacor over, over the Broken Realms Techless, right? You want to talk about Bellacor. You want to talk about the Night Haunt rules. Super cool with that. We're mm-hmm. good to do that. But yeah. there are things in Broken Realm Techlist that are impactful, that yes. are important, that Absolutely. are worth talking about. Absolutely. Uh, so we will make sure to go back and do that at some point. But we kind of follow our excitements when it's available to us. So... Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll do that. In a couple of weeks, we'll mm-hmm. be back. Figure it out. Brendan, thank you again for coming back, man, for another round of Yeah, no problem for Groundhog's Day. Technology! Thank you, listeners, for... Yeah, you didn't have to listen to this twice, unless you want to. You're more than welcome to you download should. You should. Twice. You should download, listen, <laughs> rate and review, then delete it, <laughs> then download it a second time so that you can really have the full oh, experience God. of this podcast. God. We're going to find gonna... out here in just a minute if the last two and a half hours of us talking at each other. And Brendan and I already talked about this. If episode 72, you light it off and you listen to it and it says, this is Dan and Brendan. We're letting you know that episode 72 is done. Okay, we'll see you for episode 73. If you hear that, you'll know that the technology failed again. Yeah. But God willing, it won't. So anyway, we will be back in two weeks with Broken Realms Bellacor. And again, thank you all for listening. Brendan, thank you for being here as always, my friend. No problem. (laughs) And we will see you all next time around. You take care. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Bye. This is the end.